Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. in an edge, but Shnevich, Dallas rings it out, two on one, in on Perunovic, and again, Raffle far side, they score, Rope hits a shorthanded goal. The game for me was on the line, third period, we got two power plays to start the period, <clears throat> and that's that's the game. It along the wing, but the puck bounced on him, and it's knocked out, here's another two on one for Dallas, Peron defending, stars in, they shoot, they score. Second shorthanded goal of the game for the Dallas Stars. Stars are going to send the Blues to their fifth defeat in their last six games with a 4-1 win here tonight in Dallas. And the backup goaltender has beaten the Blues in four of the last five times they've lost. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night. As Not last night. Uh, that was not days last are night. all getting mixed together. Wedding planning, man. Uh, Saturday night as the Blues lose again on the road this time at Dallas. Once again, a backup goalie Should've started going himself. up against no. the Blues. Who this so was, was not a goalie issue. Uh, this was an everything else <laughs> issue for the Blues all on right, Saturday night. You blown it up already? Yeah, we're done. I say both both teams in St. Louis blow it up and let's see who gets whoa, to the championship whoa, whoa. first. The, the Blues have now lost five out of their last six games. Alex, bad? after starting five and zero oh on the season, they are now nine six and two. So they have gone four six and two in their last twelve games. Saturday feels like it's pretty easy to explain in a vacuum. That was, hey, you gave up two shorthanded goals. Can't do that. The third period, you had two power play opportunities to be able to tie that thing up. You weren't able to do so, and boom, the Stars are able to take advantage. What's going on with this team in the big picture, though, right now? You know, I was reading JR's mailbag on The Athletic this morning, and I I thought he said something that really stuck out to me of what's going on with this team right now. And someone asked why this team is playing 500 hockey reeling. And he said, I don't think that they've been embarrassed enough to put consistent efforts together. First, I'm like, okay, where are you going at JR? But then the more I thought about it and the more I read the comment, he's right. You'd think Arizona was that embarrassing loss where it's like, we can't do that anymore. But I don't know if that was there yet for this team. We saw the effort of what they look like against the San Jose Sharks on home ice. And then you go out to Dallas for a quick road game. And it just wasn't there from start to finish. I thought the first period was a good period for the Blues. I thought there were some pressure moments. I I do think that all of those penalties really got the team in a rut. I mean, when you have eight power plays, 
total in the second period alone, that's going to cause a lot of problems in terms of mismanagement and time on ice, not getting guys into the flow of the game. But there's no excuse for that. Your power play was second in the National Hockey League and you didn't score other than that one power play goal. And you had two chances in the third period to tie things up and you didn't. You gave up two shorthanded goals, which... I mean, that hasn't happened in a really long time. Two shorthanded goals against the Blues in the same game. So I think right now, going back to the original point of what's going on with this team, I just don't know if they've had that embarrassing moment of a season yet to where they say we can't continue to play like this. I think they still believe that the talent is going to get them over the hump of these slumps that they're going through. If they didn't have that against Arizona, they're not having it this year. That's what I was going to say. That had to be it. That had to be the moment. I, I, I'm serious. Like, if, if they did not feel that way after that loss, then I don't think that this team is capable of having that moment unless they go on, like, a 10-game losing streak. Well, think about it, though. I mean, you went on in 18-19 when they finally turned it around and you fired the coach. You went on probably one of the worst slumps you did in the middle of November where you had to fire Mike Yo. But that's what I'm saying. It'll take firing Craig Berube before they get this thing back into gear, if that is true. I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure that this is as simple as they haven't been embarrassed yet. And, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel like this team has more talent on this roster than that team that made that run. I think that team that made that run got really hot, and they had good talent. Don't get me wrong. They had really good talent. They just got hot, got into the playoffs, and it continued from there. To me, this team on paper has more talent than what that team had. That right there, T-Bone, is where... So so your statement about this team all season has been they just don't have good enough defense to get them over the hump. They need a top four defenseman. I don't agree with that. I think the problem for this team right now is they're not playing to the level of talent that they have on this roster. Guys just aren't stepping up into the roles that they need to. Defensively, they're making too many turnovers in their own zone. Offensively, look, they're getting scoring chances. A lot of them. They're getting the shots on goal. The problem is they're they're not going in. And Craig Berube always says you got to work harder for those goals. You can't just hope that they're going to come to you. you got to work hard. Look at what Brandon Saad is doing, guys. He's got three goals in his last two games. You want to know why? Because he's parking his rear end right in front of the goaltender, and he's chipping those home. The Blues just aren't getting that type of effort right now from the team, putting bodies in front of the net, getting those second and third scoring chances, and I think that's where this comes down to right now. Could it be the embarrassment? I don't know, but I thought JR made a really interesting point, and I agree. If you don't get embarrassed against the team that has one win in the NHL, then I don't know what else is going to embarrass you. But this team is not this bad, which leads me to believe they're just not getting a full 100% effort from the guys that they need to be getting them from. I think this is pretty simple. Like I, I think sometimes we make this more complicated than it needs to be. If I told you guys that over the course of any given month, you would have zero goals combined from David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, how would you assume that goes for the Blues? Probably not not particularly well, right? I would think better than this because of how much we've heard about the forward Z- depth. Zero being. goals. Zero goals I, I from David it, Perron as, and as Ryan much as, O'Reilly. As much as we've talked about the forward depth being very strong, I would still expect it to be better than this. I, I wouldn't. I, I would. And oh, by the way, Braden Shin's out. Oh, yeah. Okay. So maybe, you had zero goals maybe from Braden Shin and Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron in the month of November. The how thing, how you feeling about that? The thing about it is with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron is they're still picking up points. Like Perron has, what, 18, 17 points right yeah, now? Six points this month. But at a, at a certain point in time, his his role for you as a goal scorer, I, like you're right, he he is contributing in ways. I'm not saying they've been bad. 
and they are getting a lot of opportunities. If you're looking at some of the advanced numbers, Ryan O'Reilly has been one of the more unlucky players in the league so far this year when it comes to his goal scoring. The only guy on the team that's been more unlucky than him is actually Robert Thomas, who should have like three more goals on the year based on the expected numbers. But if those guys get back on track and what I'm I say, I'll have to say this. I'm not worried about the blues yet. I'm really not. I don't think this is a lack of embarrassment for them. I don't think this is them being a bad team. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're in a slump right now scoring offensively. I think they had a couple of really bad moments on the power play on Saturday, and that explains that specific loss. If they're able to get a little bit more puck luck, specifically for guys like David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, I think they're going to start looking like the team that we expected them to be. But my simple explanation for what's happened this month for me, I I can only explain it for me is that David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shin have combined for one goal over the course of the month of November. And we are what eight, nine days away from the end of the month of November. And that kind of explains to me how you get into a slump like this. There's more guys too, though. Uh, I mean, look, I know Vladimir Tarasenko has been scoring goals, but if you look at Vladdy in the last five or six games, he's been a minus in every single game. Mm -hmm. If you look at Pavel Buchnevich, Pavel Buchnevich has not had the goal scoring opportunities that we would have expected from him. And then on top of it, as much as you'll talk about the offense and not scoring those goals, the problem is they're giving up too many goals and they're giving up too many solid scoring opportunities right now. If there was a problem for this team in this bubble that we're looking at, it's the fact that defensively as a five man unit, they're not playing to the skill level that they have. They're trying to make too many quick plays out of their zone rather than smart plays out of their zone. And Craig Berube has talked about this on post game a couple of times. So as a five man unit, you're just not getting the defense that you're used to in their own zone, which is leading to the blues playing a lot of chase hockey. I, in the last 10 games, I think they probably led maybe three or four times. I'll have to go back and look yeah. at that. That's a really interesting point I mean, because it, been, I, I think you're right. Yeah. They've been playing chase hockey right now, which look, that's, that's a, that's a recipe for exhaustion from your players. And frankly, it's, it's a recipe for trying to do too much on the ice rather than playing the team system that they're used to. It's also, I mean, think about the Titans, for example, in the NFL, right? They're a team that you would assume is better playing from ahead than they are playing from behind. I think there's some of that to the blues as well with the style of hockey that they play. They're much better playing with the lead, or at least you would assume that to be true. It's been ugly, man. And this is dating all the way back now. Like, It really started with that Colorado loss, and it has gone ever since. Their first loss of the season almost portended what we have seen over the last 12 games now. They're back in action tonight. It's not going to get a whole lot easier. The Vegas Golden Knights, while they're not at full strength, uh, still a talented hockey team. They need to get it back on the good side of things. They they need to start feeling better. I thought that was going to be the case after what they showed against San Jose. They definitely looked a lot better in that one. Alex, we'll get to guess the lines here in a little bit. Do you think they go Huso tonight? Or do you think they go back to Bennington in this one? That's a good question. Um, and I know I already saw a couple of text messages on the Air Comfort Service text line saying, big mistake by Berube not playing Ville Huso. Look, that wasn't Craig Berube. That was more Ville Huso, I don't think, ready, feeling ready for that game because he talked and about... also, come on, what are we doing here? Are you guys serious? No, I mean, I frankly, <laughs> I would have played Ville Huso in that game against Dallas, rewarding him for the effort. But I think the reason is Ville Huso talked... He told Curbs and Joey about being exhausted <laughs> yeah. after that first game. So I think this was more of the COVID repercussions for Ville Husso of why he didn't start against Dallas because this is a quick home game. I do feel like they'll go to Bennington tonight 
to try and get him in the right frame of mind because, look, that, that loss on Dallas was not on him. That was on the play in front of him. This is a home game, and then you got a game against Detroit. And, look, no disrespect to Detroit because Detroit's a good team. But I probably would play Ville Husso on the first game of that road trip. And remember, you have back-to-backs coming up this week on Friday, Saturday. So if it were me, I'd play Jordan Bennington tonight, probably go Husso against Detroit, and then figure out what to do Bennington Husso Friday, Saturday. I think I'm You're with you. You're just starting Husso every night with Alex Ferrari and Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's no, BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. It's 11:17. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we will get back into the blues. Alex is five players who need to get back on track for this team to get sorted through for the team. We'll get into that at 11:30. But next, John Mozeliak had some very interesting comments to the St. Louis Post Dispatch over the weekend. Is this starting pitch, pitching market thinner than we expected it to be? I certainly don't see it that way. Apparently the Cardinals do. We'll, we'll let you know what they had to say about it next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I would expect Matt's to be the next one to go. And that would not I would not be surprised if he ends up signing sometime this week. And I think that deal is going to be probably toward the edge of what the Cardinals are, are comfortable doing because he's coming off of a pretty good year. I would imagine a guy like Alex Cobb um, is going to be much more realistic. Alex Cobb? Alex Cobb is going to be realistic for the Cardinals. first name. Oh, come on. Alex Cobb's name. Not a good pitcher. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, We are going to get back into the Blues coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Alex has the five players who need to get back on track for the Blues as a team to to get back on track. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. But John Mosellock, and by the way, that was Robert Murray last week talking to us about the free agency market. John Mosellock made some comments over the weekend to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Alex, and I wanted to discuss them with you. He said the high price on pitching is because, quote, this is not a deep market. Therefore, supply and demand will either directionally pull up or it'll pull down. That's probably why you're seeing it pull up this offseason. End quote again. That came from John Mosellock to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The interesting part there to me is that he says this is not a deep pitching market. What? I went into this offseason actually thinking the opposite. I, I feel like the majority of the people that we have had on, one of the things that they have stated about this free agent class as a whole is, hey, there's a lot of pitching available. Depending on what you want, there's a guy available either in that end of the market price-wise or there's a guy, there are some players, Kevin Gossman, for example, strikeout pitcher he's got two pitches for you are you gonna bet on it maybe and he's the guy that you go for in that department uh do you want upside well Robbie Ray was just the AL Cy Young do you want some older veterans well here over on this side of things I've got Max Scherzer and Zach Grinke and um who else Justin Verlander who was available previously I mean there are three or four guys that go into every type of category that you could possibly be looking for as a pitcher I think the way that that gets stratified is if you're a team that is looking for a very specific type of pitcher and for the Cardinals, maybe they view it through the lens of, 
hey, yeah, that's great. There's a million different kinds of pitchers. We're not interested in all of those guys off to the side. So just pretend like they're not even on the market. Once you go there, okay, who are the guys that you're actually interested in? Okay, there's like five of them. I wonder if we were looking at this all wrong for the Cardinals. What if they do want a high-end starter? What if the Cardinals are going into this thing and saying to themselves, "Mm, yeah, it'd be nice to get an Alex Cobb. We think we got a lot of Alex Cobbs. We think Johan Oviedo can be Alex Cobb. We think Matthew Libertor by midseason will be better than Cobb. I was going to say, if you say Matthew Libertor is Alex Cobb, We think Jake Woodford will give us equivalent or better numbers to what Alex Cobb would. I'd agree with that. So instead of going that route, we don't, we're not even interested in any of those guys on the lower e- tier of the free agency market. Look at Marcus Stroman. Look at Max Scherzer. Look at those guys at the top end of the market. Those are the ones that we're interested in. And maybe they view it as other teams are also in that specific market as well. That's how it would suddenly look a lot more thin than it otherwise does. Yeah, I mean... That would make sense, especially from John Mozeliak's comments of going heavy into the pitching market this offseason, and there are some significant names that you could chase after in this one. Look, uh, again, if they were to sign Marcus Stroman, if they were to sign Max Scherzer, I think a lot of Cardinals fans, me included, would be excited for the outlook of what this team looks like because you're adding a legitimate number one, number two guy to your rotation that's already really heavy with talent in terms of Flaherty, Hudson, Wainwright, and even Michaelis at his best. But if you were to drop 20, 30, 40, $50 million on a pitcher for multiple years, the problem always goes back to offense for me. And I think you're a better team with Max Scherzer and Marcus Stroman on, but I think you're a much better team with a better bat in the middle of this order. So I do think, though, that those comments take you away from Cobb. Grinky. I hope so. Michael Pineda. Me too. Alex Wood. Like those guys who are in the bargain bin section that we've talked about. I think you can wipe those players clear from this one because if they're going to go bargain bin shopping, they're going to re-sign the guys that were already bargain bin options for them that showed success. So this does make me feel like if they're going shopping for pitching, they're going to go into that. Uh, they're going to go into the high end section. They're going to go in the high limit rooms of this poker poker. Room. Oh, we're going to Nordstrom's instead of Nordstrom's rack now. I love Nordstrom's Rack. I love Nordstrom's Rack. Do you know how many like really good coats you can get from Nordstrom's Rack? It's wonderful, Rack? but they're going the high price Wait, we were market. talking about coats? I thought we were talking about gambling for a second. Okay, Tanner, we got I was, and then, of course, BK <laughs> goes straight to Nordstrom's Rack, if that tells anybody anything. I- I'm with you. I think that clearly eliminates them from the bargain bin, and I think it gave us an idea they're just looking for one starter, too. If you don't view the pitching market as, quote-unquote, deep, then to me, you're not adding two guys. It doesn't make sense to add a Steven Metz and a John Gray, because... I don't know what you're doing. Because we already said you got four guys locked in your rotation. So if you add two, what's happened with somebody in your rotation? Are you going to move Michaelis to the bullpen? That seems unlikely. So I think this shows that the Cardinals are just interested in one arm. And it's going to be someone that's either mid-tier or the top in terms of Stroman. But I also find this comment interesting because it almost feels like Mo did the opposite of... Like we talked about when he made the comments on Paul DeYoung, it was, oh, well, it's just, you know, he's playing the leverage game. Mo basically just admitted that, hey, we may have to go overspend for somebody that's a mid-tier pitcher because that's the way the market is going. He, uh, no, he didn't. I think he did because he said the pitching market's not that deep. Okay, if the pitching market's not that deep, then you don't have the leverage of saying, okay, we can't reach a deal. We'll just move on to the next guy. It, it made it pretty clear to me to some of those mid-tier guys of saying, okay, you don't think the market's very deep. You're talking to me. You think I'm one of, let's just say, probably five guys that you're willing to talk with. Maybe, or the Cardinals would go back and say, eh, no, 
we, we've got six other guys that we're interested in now because the market didn't come back to us. And so that I, I don't know that he loses any leverage by saying this. I think this is more a commentary on what the pitching market is and why we're seeing these prices. I, I do want to ask you guys about Steven Matz once again. Yeah. Apparently, I just wants... want him to sign somewhere so we could be done with this. Hey, congratulations. I think you're going to get your wish. Why? What all happened? of the rumors are that he's going to sign before Thanksgiving. So within the next 72 hours or so, By the we way, should have a destination for Steven Matz. Did you see the, the I forgot who put it out. Somebody had it yesterday saying like five or six of these top end guys are hoping to sign before December 1st. Makes sense. T-Bone's going to lose that six pack that he bet us. There was one report well. that apparently Simeon and uh, Seeger yeah. would like to sign before Simeon, December Seeger, 1st. And then Strowman, I thought I saw Scherzer's name on there as well. But there were like five or six guys that were the top end of this market. And if that's the case, oh, it was Scott Boris's clients. That's who basically they said is going because Castellanos was on this list as well. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to to sign beforehand. Just if you want that certainty, Uh, I do find it interesting that Boris is the guy that's doing this because he's typically the one that waits. He's the guy that's more than happy to go all the way into spring training if necessary. So the reason why I bring up Steven Matz is A, sounds like he's going to sign very soon. He's one of the guys that, I mean, you just heard it there in the the return. Robert Murray said last week he expects him to sign very soon. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com had a piece up on the website over the weekend and he connected a one free agent with a team so every team was connected with a specific free agent and he was not able to use use the same free agent to multiple different teams so he was basically playing matchmaking game right for the cardinals guess who he signed steven matz of course he said starting pitching tops the list of needs for the cardinals this winter while they might not want to pay up for top free agents like scherzer ray or gossman there is plenty of talent available don't ask mo he disagrees matz bounced back from a dreadful 2020 season with 29 starts last year of quality innings for the blue jays putting him in position to land a multi-year deal that he hoped for a year ago six five seven eight oh is your comfort service text line I would love to get the listeners' thoughts on this, and I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this as well. If the Cardinals sign Matt's to a, let's call it, three-year, $45 million deal, is that a big off-season addition? Wait, what did you just give him? Three years, $45 million. I am not going to be surprised if that's the kind of market he's looking like, for. Hold on, let me do my calculation. $15 million here. a year. Yeah. If the Cardinals gave Stephen Matt's a $45 million contract for three years, so 15 per. Would that be considered to you guys a big free agent signing? If that is the... Let me ask this a different way. If that is their big free agent signing of the offseason, what else would they have to do for this to be a quality offseason for you? You better spend that other $15 million on a guy who can improve your offense because you're signing a, a three or four in your rotation. You said earlier we got a lot of Alex Cobb. You got a lot of three or fours in your rotation right now. You don't have ones or twos, with the exception of Flaherty and Hudson. That's pretty good so one. You twos. need a one and you need a two, and you've got two of them. Okay, just wanted to check that math. You might need to get another one of those one twos. Did you just fill out your two with two, uncompared to BK's six with five? It's cool, man. Dude, there's so would you many feel numbers. I feel like Rain Man right now. I think you'd overspend for Steven Matz if you're giving him. Fifteen that's million dollars. I know. Money. I know that's the market. I knew you were about to say that. That's the market. No, that's I, the market. I agree. I think you are overspending. I think for you're him. overspending, and I don't think you. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with they should be doing that to overspend for a starting pitcher with that. Now, that being said, if that's their one big move, I, I think it's a mistake because I think they need to look at the offense. I 
And I'm going to bring this up because I know we're going to talk about the Rule 5 guys later on, but I think the Cardinals basically told us what they think about what they have in terms of shortstops in this system. They don't have one. They don't, <laughs> they don't have, have one. one. Mason Wynn is their next guy. Yeah, and he's like still trying to figure out. Just two, three years And they're away. still trying to figure out if he's going to be their shortstop or their pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that if Stephen Matt is your big move, I get why they did it, but I think you should focus on the offense. I don't know if I'd be necessarily... I wouldn't be upset if they signed Steven Matz, but I think they went the wrong direction, and especially if you're having to overpay for him. It almost, it's not as long-term a deal as Mike Leak was, but that's what it feels they like. He's a guy you're overspending for. They signed Steven Matz. I'm going to look at this offseason, the other offseason. I'm going to say, okay, cool. Now you got to do something with it. Whereas if you go out and make a big splash in terms of one of the high-end pitchers or the high-end bats, I'm going to look at it as, oh, man, they have a shot this year. What if they signed Matz, if you, if Luis you, Garcia, if you say Duffy, Joe Kelly, <laughs> I'm not saying Duffy. I thought you were going to say Cruz. No. Well, something like that. Matt, Luis Garcia, Joe Kelly, or the equivalent, one of the other quality bullpen arms. So you've got three pitchers that you brought in, including bringing back Luis Garcia. And you go out there and get a guy that can be a DH slash corner infielder or corner outfielder who can can mash. Who are you getting, though? One of those players that's going to be in the ten to twelve million dollar range. Throw Rosario out there for now. Sure, Rosario, Jock Peterson, Nelson Cruz, all of those guys that are in that similar range that can be a DH option for you. Somebody like that, because I, I, I think that feels very Cardinals like. If that, that type of an if offseason. that were to be the off season, I would look at it as I'm excited to see what this team can do, but I'm not sitting here saying they're a World Series favorite. I would I would be looking forward to the season, but I'm going to view it the same as I did when they acquired Nolan Arenado. Okay, let's see what they do with it. You think that Steven Matz is no. the equivalent? <laughs> Never said <laughs> that. I said, I said Steven Matz, Luis Garcia, Joe Kelly, and Eddie Rosario are the equivalent of you trading for right Nolan Arenado. DK and Ferrario. Son Steven Matz is next year's version of Nolan Arenado. Alex will tell you the five Never blues players who need Never to get back on track that. next on 101 ESPN. Come on! Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But before we do that, Alex is going to tell us about the five players who need to get back on track for the Blues. Lace them up. It's time to celebrate BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Frankly, I'm just glad we're not doing a dumb T-bone three. Uh, trash hey. out of here. How about we actually hey. do something with substance? One of those three got added to the 40 yeah, man. People were very happy with Tanner over the weekend. I know, actually, research. I'm a little worried that Ferrari 5 is going to get thrown to the side. I Get it out of here! I figured I'd throw you a bone today. Whoa! Shot Alex a text this morning. I was like, hey, I don't need your... Oh, wait, this is a sympathy Ferrari 5? I, I, oh, yeah. I know you didn't love You the, can do uh, it yourself, then. The T-Bone 3. Nope. You could do it yourself, then. So we'll get you your Ferrari 5. So we'll do that coming up here in just a moment. First, let's guess the lines. The Blues are out at Morning Skate today. They play the Golden Knights tonight. You'll hear that pregame coverage with Alex coming up at 6 o'clock. Do you want to start in net or do you want to start with the lines? Where would you like to start today, Alex? Or the deep pairings. What are you feeling? <laughs> um, I think we can start in net because I'm pretty confident you go back to Bennington. I mean, I, I think with, with back-to-backs coming up this weekend with 
you're playing four games in six days. Is that right? Four days and yeah, sounds right. You know not to do the show. Monday, on show. Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Four yeah, games, great. six days. With that being said, I think you're going to go Villahusa, one of those back-to-backs. Probably see him on Wednesday against Detroit. So I would assume Bennington and that. Let's go Bennington. All right. We got right, it. We're off to a good start. So we, so we, whoa, damn. What? I'm just saying. Damn. So if we're going to go goaltender out, you want to do defense? Because I think there is one change on this side tonight. Oh, do you? I think Nico Mikola gets in. After Barubi's comments on... For Bortuzzo? It's either Bortuzzo or Scandella. I don't think he's completely punting on Scandella. Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I, look, Barubi talked about it on Friday or Saturday before that game. And JR asked him, you know, what's the plan with Nico Mikola? And he said, look, we're going to get him into games. We're just trying to figure out when. I think now's a perfect time after a loss against Dallas. Defense not playing up to par. I think you put Mikola in. <sighs> the problem is Mikola is a lefty. Are you going to play him on the left side and sit Sandella? Or are you going to play him on they, the right side and sit Portuzo? They tell us all the time that that doesn't matter. So I'm going to take them at their word. And a guy like Mikula, you've got to be able to play both sides because yeah. otherwise you're just not going to be able to get into well, the lineup. Let's start. I think Pareko, I, would go I think Pareko and Krug stay together. And I, I think Falk and Perunovic stay together. Agreed. So then let's go Mikula and Scandella. Does it Boom. say if he's on the left or right? Uh, Scandella is on the right. Mikula's okay. on the left. That makes sense. Keep like him, I said, keep, you got you to gotta go with Scandella. On the last year and filled apparently in. this helps. I don't know if this helps, but Craig Bruby says that Robert Bortuzzo nicked up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, nicked up meaning you need a night off. Yeah. So if this is the case, then you don't have any other forwards. So I think you go with the same forwards because Shen, I don't think, is ready. Yeah. Unless unless we think he's going to be in. I, I don't assume he's we going to be. We have not heard anything to the sort. So, I mean, do you change your, your forwards? I mean, you only scored one goal against I mean, you had Dallas. good chances. Yeah, I mean, you did outshoot them 13-4 to four in the third period. So, do you just go the same forwards then? You go Kairu, O'Reilly, Perron? That's what I would go with. Booch, Booch Thomas, yep. and Tarasenko. Booch, Todd, Tasenko. Booch, Todd, Tasenko. What the hell was that? Booch, Tasenko. There's no Thomas in there. Booch to Sanko. How, how do you Thomas? Thomas is, ta. Oh, good lord! No, what? that's not. That's not it. Booch to Sanko. Save the nicknames for uh, for your boy over here. Okay. So then you got Barbashev, Sunquist, and Sod. Sod. That's been their best sign. Sasa Sev. Sasa Sev. Sasa Sev. I like that one. Sasunsev. No, that's terrible. That's almost worse than Shoreshenko. <laughs> no, no, that's a low part of clear. And then your fourth line: Costin, Neil, and Bozak. Bang! He got it. All right, so your lines for tonight: Kairu, O'Reilly, Perron, Booch, Thomas, Tarasenko, Sod, Sonny, and Barbie, Costin, Bozak, and Neil. They are making a change on the back end. You've got Krug with Pareko, uh, same as it has been. Perunovic with Falk, that is also the same as it's been. But Marco Scandella bumping to the right side on the third pairing tonight. You will have Nico Mikola making the start on the left side, third pairing defenseman this evening with Jordan Bennington back in that Blues versus Golden Knights tonight pregame coverage with Alex beginning at six o'clock. Alex, I would like to see this team get back on track. I don't know what has specifically taken place with them to lead to these issues, but they have won one game in regulation in their last eight. They are now one and five in their last six games overall. Who are the five guys that need to get back on track individually for the team 
to get back on track here mine's moving just, forward. Might just well do three of them and give them to T-Bone. All right, here's mine's my just a sympathy Ferrari 05 here. T-Bone, hit the open! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. Somebody said, oh, my God, stop with the nicknames. You guys are terrible at it. That's Curb's texting. I know. It's kind of our thing. Combining three names together into something stupid is not a nickname. Oh, yeah? Tell that to the Schwarzenko line. Boom. Roasted. Number five on my list today, boys. This might surprise some people. Robert Thomas. The guy who is nearly a point per game player. I think you need to see a little bit more from Thomas right now. And here's why. Goal production wise, defense. Two what you, points per game. It's more defense. <laughs> two points per game would be awesome to pick up for Peron and O'Reilly. It's more on the defensive side. He's got 16 points in 17 games. He's a zero in the plus minus. Like th- team stat. No, it's not a team stat. <laughs> Like the the gripe with Connor McDavid, if there is a gripe, tell it, that to Jamie. <laughs> ask him, yeah, ask Jamie, him if it's yeah, not a well, team stat. Yeah, defenseman always like that a lot more. No, in terms of forwards, I think it's important because look, they don't they don't attribute plus minus on special teams. So for a guy like Robert Thomas, like the gripe with Connor McDavid is he's so good offensively, but defensively is where he is kind of exposed he's got 30 plus points on the season he's like a plus two plus four. Ro- Robert Thomas oh sorry BK Robert Thomas is phenomenal offensively I think he's taken that next step he's shown to be a number two centerman he's great on the penalty kill power play we're seeing success on the second unit but at even strength I think he's been exposed a little bit in terms of the defensive zone and you could say this for a lot of guys this season but what I would like to see from Robert Thomas who's playing nearly 19 or over 19 minutes a game is a little bit more prowess in your own zone of being strong on your stick that side of it just as much as you are on the offensive side he's been great offensively but i want to see a little bit more there number four on this list is colton pareko if colton pareko was the alpha dog that doug armstrong has talked about and he is fully healthy this season which we all expect him and he looks that way he hasn't played like it and I don't, some of this can be because he doesn't have the proper pairing partner like he did with Jay Bowmeister. Some of this can just be because they're using him so much. I mean, he's playing nearly 25 minutes a night right now. That's why I don't think it's injury related. I don't think it is either. But right now, Colton Pareko is struggling on the defensive side. And I think you need to see a little bit more from him. I, I, I know everyone says, well, you want to see more aggressiveness from him. Look, he's never going to be Chris Pronger. So people need to get that out of their mindset. That's not how Colton Pareko plays. But what I would like to see more from him is using his body and his strength more than just the length of his stick. I, I think what Colton Pareko tries to do is trying to um, drop back to just reaching and stopping the play rather than just shoving the guy off of the puck. And I think that's something that's exposed Jordan Bennington. Uh, number three on this list, this is going to surprise you guys, Jordan Bennington. Yeah. I don't think all of this is on Jordan Bennington. Frankly, if you look at his save percentage, look, he's given up nearly three goals a game, but he's also got almost a 92 save percentage. That just means he's stopping a lot of shots, but he's also giving up three or more goals. I think it's nine of the 11 starts this season for Jordan Each of Bennington. His last four, he's given up at least four, uh, three. And three again, goals. I go to this Dallas Stars game. None of those goals are his fault. I mean, they're all odd man rushes two on one because the play breaks up in the offensive zone. But you need your, your you need your goalie to steal your games like he did against the Winnipeg Jets this season. So Jordan Bennington, I think you need to see a little bit more from him. And frankly, now that Ville Husso is playing like this, I think it puts more of a spotlight on Jordan Bennington. Yeah, the quality start percentage. Um, he's 
at 30% so far yeah, this good. year. Uh, that's bad. He, yeah. League average is right around 50, 60, 60% is where you want to be. His best year back in 2018, 2019. And again, nobody's holding him to that standard. He was on a different level, but he was at 66% that year. The last two years, he's been around 55. He's at 31 right now. Got to be yeah. better. Uh, number two on this list is Pavel Buchnevich. Pavel Buchnevich, he's got 10 points on the season. He's a plus six. I think he's actually had a really decent start to the year, but I'd like to see more high danger scoring opportunities for Buchnevich. He's got 44 shots, which right now is fourth best on the team, third best amongst forwards. Guys, by the way, Justin Falk has 46 shots on goal this season, which is second best on this Blues team. But Pavel Buchnevich, I'd like to see a little bit more prowess in front of the net. Brandon Saad has been doing it, which is why he's got seven goals on the season. For Pavel Buchnevich, he's a power forward style. Power play wise, you just haven't seen that threat like we're expecting to. And defensively, it's kind of been up and down with him. So he's number two on this list. I was expecting to see more of a top six forward. And we haven't had it yet from uh, Buchnevich. Number one on this list. And I know I talked about him a little bit ago, but David Perron. Perron is nearly a point per game player as well. But he's not scoring goals. And I think to your point, BK, of what we opened up the show with. When he's not scoring, that means you're not spending enough time in the offensive zone with David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, who are notorious for puck possession. Mm-hmm. Um, some of this might be trying to find that line combo. It looked good with Brandon Saad, Jordan Cairo playing there now. But for the Blues, they need David Perron to be a 25-goal scorer. And even if he doesn't get there, you need him to be that threat once again. And it just hasn't been there for for David Perron as of late. So DP 57, as much as I think he's played a very solid start to the year, you need a little bit more from him in terms of goal threats. I think that's a totally fair one to have at number one. I understand that he is producing. The points are there. You pay him to score goals, and he hasn't done it so far in the month of November. It's zero for Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. If those guys aren't scoring, you're just not going to be able to reach your peak as a team. So the top five players that need to turn it around for the Blues to get back on track as a team, David Perron, Pavel Buchnevich, Jordan Bennington, Colton Pareko, and Robert Thomas. No surprise that when you look at that list, especially in the top four, it's some of your highest paid players, the guys that you pay to be able to produce. Some of them have not done so at least over the last two, three weeks. And that's why the blues are in the situation that they find themselves in right now with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The, 2021 college football season is one week from taking a close in the regular season. Would you consider this so far to be a success for Mizzou and Illinois? We'll give you our take on that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 5780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, why isn't Tyler Beatty getting more respect nationwide? Well, I think he is actually. Uh, we are going to talk with a national college football analyst tomorrow to see what his perspective is on Mizzou, Illinois, and specifically Tyler Beatty. Beatty right now is second in the country, by the way. The Missouri running back, for any of you that aren't familiar with his work, he's very good at football. He is second in the country in yards from scrimmage so far this season. He is averaging 156 yards per game from scrimmage. And Saturday, in my opinion, was the most impressed that I've been with Tyler Beatty in any individual game this season because he he couldn't get anything going for the first half. 
And then suddenly in the second half, he was the reason why Missouri was able to win that game against Florida. So I think all of that respect you're looking for is coming his way. I think he's going to be not just a watch list guy for all of the awards postseason. I think he's got a chance to legitimately win some significant awards this postseason. And I think he has a real shot to be both all SEC and on an All-American team this year. Look, in my opinion, he's the sole reason why this team's bowl eligible Absolutely. for how he has played. And I think some of the reason people aren't talking about him is because Mizzou's had a underperforming season. A lot of people, I think, expected Mizzou to be closer to an 8-9 win team than what they sit right now. Um, how many more years of eligibility? So this is his last no. year. That's frustrating because I would love to see what he looks like in this offense when it gets when they figure out their defensive woes next season. It's bad timing. Uh, that's what stinks. And it's it's almost like watching Drew Locke without having the, the weapons that Missouri had in 2007 or in 2013. I wish Drew Locke at his peak was able to play with those pieces because I think you would have been able to see him have an even better career at Mizzou. It's kind of how I feel about Beatty, too. It's unfortunate he wasn't on one of those two teams because, my gosh, I mean, the, the national acclaim for a guy like this would have been would have been really remarkable. What he did on Saturday was awesome, and it was great to see them get the win. We'll talk more about that coming up here in about five minutes or so. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Do you all have any interest in Clint Frazier, the former Yankees outfielder? I saw that they decided to DFA him the other day. I didn't know he was. I didn't know they DFA'd him. He's interesting. He's a righty, though. He is a righty. And he was terrible last year. I mean, a, a truly horrific season. I mean, he hasn't been a great player that often. He was pretty good the three years before last season. I mean, 2020 is such a year, a hard year to evaluate because it's bubble. Like I go to 2019. Yeah, that's, I mean, tw- 12 home runs, 38 RBIs, so and from, a 806 OPS. From 2018 to 2020, if you just combine those three seasons, he played in 123 games. He was a 270 hitter with 23 doubles and 20 home runs. And that is over 123 games. That player is worth picking up. But the player that you saw last year is not even worthy of being on a roster. I feel like just looking at his numbers, that's that's peak Lars Newtbar. And in my opinion, I'd rather have Lars Newtbar, who's a lefty on my team, than go out and sign a guy who's a righty for the fourth outfielder spot. And if I'm being honest, I really don't want the winning window. I don't want a project signing and, you and that's what he would be kind and you don't of, want to block opinion. Juan Yepes well yeah that's the rookie yes. of the year so yeah I wouldn't I personally would not have any interest in Clint Frazier and I was just looking at his numbers because we were talking uh, during a break about break about how right-handed pitchers go to die in New York uh, his numbers weren't great at home but his numbers weren't significantly that much better on the road uh, in his east career, coast west so. coast what <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Do you all think that Danny Duffy or Alex Wood would be intriguing low cost possibilities for the Cardinals? Danny Duffy, Alex Wood, Tanner, any interest in Alex Wood? I'll give you my thoughts on Danny Duffy. Uh, Wood, no, maybe if it right price. And to me, that'd be like two to five million. If that, because he's so injury prone and so is Danny Duffy. So if you could get him in that range, because when he's healthy, he's really good. But, man, he's hurt a lot. That, that's my only concern about him. What I'm out on season Danny last Duffy. year. You're out on Duffy? I'm out on Duffy. I mean, look, he puts, he, he puts together good seasons at 150-plus innings 
but in his last two years, he hasn't. And on top of it, when he's giving you 150 plus innings, he's looking at like a high four ERA. Yeah, I don't think Duffy makes a whole lot of sense for this team. He's an intriguing arm. He's really dynamic as both a person and a player. I think him and Jack Flaherty would hit it off really well as personalities. They're, they're both from the LA area. I think they could it would, matchmaker over there. Yeah, what are we doing? I, he has, they would be good friends. I think it'd be good buds. <laughs> what is this? I remember uh, Lars Newtbar and the relationship that he had with TJ McFarlane last year and how they became like the Plenty best of, of friends fish in the sea.com. Thanks to BK. <laughs> Baseballonly.com. Danny Duffy and uh, Jack Flaherty going to be great pairs. I I think he would make a lot of sense in this locker room is what I'm saying. Could could you imagine Michael Gersh going to John Mosaic and be like, look, Mo, I know we need good pitchers, but I got a guy who just will will hit it off with Jack immediately. They will be bros. I mean, apparently Aaron Rodgers needed his BFF Randall Cobb to be able to get through the regular season. So maybe that's what Jack Flaherty needs. That was Green Bay trying to, to shovel up the elephant. Happened in the offseason of Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm not interested in Danny Duffy for this specific team. You need somebody that's more sure than what you're going to get out of Danny Duffy. He's just not a guy that you can really count on. I like Alex Wood, guys. I, I mean, I think if you're going low cost in this scenario, if he if he stays healthy, which I understand, but if you're going low cost, you're taking shots on injuries with any of these guys. If I told you Alex Wood's going to get Six million dollars. Yeah, if it's a one-year deal, six six to ten. If it, if it, I would go above eight, but if it's a one-year deal for eight or less, I'd sign. I think he'd be really good to this bullpen, bullpen rotation. He's one of the better lefties available to you. Just what scares me. But you're doing that with everybody. I I mean, anybody you sign to a one-year deal, you're going to do injuries because they're either old and you're not sure. I think I underestimated his market. The projections have him at like. 10 to 12 per year. Yeah, I, I might be out on that one unless I like there's nobody else available. I forget it's a thin market. Mo told me that earlier today. <sighs> well, listen, every once in a while. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, a late addition to the show, Joey Vitale, our blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network. He's going to talk to us about what's gone wrong for the blues in recent weeks and how they can get back on track tonight against Vegas. We'll talk about all of that with Joey Vitale coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I've also got some questions for him about how he prepares his Thanksgiving meal. So we'll do that with Joey. I have a Vitale. question about leaves for him, though. We're not even going to get hockey talking with him today. Coming up next, was 2021 a successful season for Mizzou and Illinois? And did Cincinnati quietly lock up a spot in the college football playoff yesterday? I think the answer might be yes. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN. Two tight ends, wings to each side, Bazelak under center. Rolling to his right, being flushed to the pocket, throws underneath, open. Missouri wins on a Daniel Parker reception from Connor Bazelak. With two floor defenders in his grill, Missouri is bowl eligible in overtime. 24-23. That was a pretty cool win over the weekend for the Missouri Tigers. That audio courtesy of the Mizzou Radio Network. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I wanted to ask you both, is this season considered to be a success? We have one week left. 
for Missouri and Illinois. Mizzou is now six and five going into the final game against Arkansas. Uh, this one will be on Black Friday for the Tigers. They are expected to lose that game. So the likelihood is you're going to be six God. and six going into the bowl you game. You come into these and say, oh, they're expected to lose this one. He just likes average. No, it's just the reality. Arkansas is very good. Uh, Meanwhile, Illinois, four and seven right now, put up a good fight over the weekend against Iowa. Did not cover, unfortunately, or did cover, excuse me. They covered. Yeah, they freaking covered. 0-3 this week. (laughs) Way to go, Tanner. Uh, They've got Northwestern on Saturday, which is a possible win. For them, they they might be able to win that one. They should win that one. Yeah, they they should be able to get that one, get to five and seven. Do you guys think that this is a, a... successful season for the two local football schools. I'll leave Illinois to to Tanner because he knows more about this one. And frankly, you know more about Mizzou than me, BK, but this is just my opinion on, on the Tigers. I'd say no, because I feel like there's two games that they missed out on that. They should have won. I I feel like the Kentucky game, they should have won. And I feel like the Boston college game, they should have won. Agreed. And because of that, because of two like bowl eligible, I think is a really strong moment for Eli Drinkwitz in his kind of turnaround with this Tigers team. But I, I'm looking at Boston College and I'm looking at the Kentucky game and saying, man, if your defense was playing the way that they play now, you'd be talking about a much different outcome of the season. So I, I think because of if you were to win one of those two games, I think I would have looked at it as, as, as a success. But because those two were disappointing losses, I'd have to say no for this season. I thought we were going to an SEC championship game. Based, I mean, on the I way did say ten victories that, this so. season. So. That was a ridiculous assessment. Whoa, from the whoa. <laughs> I said seven wins about? should be considered no. a, a success. I mean, let's and be honest here: Kentucky, Col- Boston College. That's that's nine victories. That would have been eight, but math not our strong suit. <laughs> We've assessed true. that. It's very true. <laughs> Uh, for Illinois, I would say very much so. This was a successful season because coming into this year, I honestly expected about three wins three to four and not only did they surpass that mark but they beat two top 25 teams one in penn state and then the other in minnesota no wait is that right yeah that's right for some reason i was thinking somebody else math on the road yeah both on the road that's two big top 25 and they were in that game yet or this weekend too i mean it got out of hand late but they were in that game for the most part and this is a season in which i knew they didn't have good quarterback play and i knew they didn't have an offensive line to protect their quarterbacks and they're able to kind of grind these games out. They run the ball like crazy. It, it's a game you watch and you just you feel disgusting after watching it because it's just kind of grinded out football. Yeah, welcome to Brett Beal in the uh, style, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. And, and the defense <laughs> smells like the 1940s. The defense Whoa. has been fantastic Whoa. too. He's the, that old. The defense has been fantastic. They're not going to be bowl eligible, but I didn't expect that. Five wins, two of them coming on the road against top 25 teams. Absolutely, this is a successful season for the Fighting Illini. Yeah, I don't know how you could consider it to be anything other than a success for Illinois. I mean, they've shown progress, and you have been competitive against even the quality opponents on your schedule late in the season. I mean, you look, you go back. If the, the way they're playing right now, they would have beat UTSA. The way they're playing right now, I think they would have beat Maryland. I think they would have had a pretty good shot against Purdue as well, and that was on the road. You went up against quality opponents this year and put together a pretty good fight. That was that was the bar to clear. They didn't even have to win against Penn State or Minnesota for this to be considered a borderline success. Winning one of those certainly goes a long way in doing so, but, I mean, the, the bar this year was show us that you at least have a fighting chance against quality opponents because too often over the last decade, really that has not been the case for Illinois. And finally you look at this. If I'm an Illini fan going into the off season, I've got reason for optimism moving forward. I look at my head coach and I say, I think that guy can get me back on track. 
I think we can get back to respectability, and that has been far too foreign to this Illinois football program for way too long now. And had they beat UTSA, and they were in that game, then we're talking about three top 25 wins. They weren't ranked at the time, but UTSA is a very good program. They're in the top 25 now. And also, I mean, this comes at a point where I thought they weren't going to get close to this because, let's not forget, Brett Bielma called out the offensive line before they took on Penn State. And we all talked about, whoa, that's the wrong thing to do. That's the wrong message to send. That was apparently the right message to send. And that woke up this Illinois team because they've played really good ever since. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 636. Guys, this goes back to not being able to be a fan of one college football team. BK talks about the moments that you can latch on to, but now I'm supposed to be happy with six to eight wins for Mizzou. How does that make any sense? I mean, Mizzou had a good moment over the weekend. Like if you're a Missouri fan, Saturday was one of those moments. Now, the game itself, I am sorry for everybody that watched the first 60 minutes. That was a horrible football game sure, for 60 minutes watch. of play. But overtime was great. Mizzou ends up giving up the the score to Florida. They go back to the other end. And by the way, of course, Florida scored going into uh, the north end zone. But Mizzou's going into the south end zone. They score in overtime. Drinkwitz decides to go for two. And that's a moment. On senior day, the kid from the 2018 class, which if you're a Missouri fan, you remember being labeled the Tiger 10. It was the 10 top prospects in the state, all of which were on campus for one weekend. And Mizzou fans were super excited because it looked like they were going to start getting some of the in-state talent to come back to Mizzou and filter in that pipeline once again. Guess what? They got one of them. One of the 10 decided to commit to Mizzou, and it was Daniel Parker Jr., who caught that two-point conversion on Saturday on his senior day when it was his final home game as a Tiger. That was a really cool moment. So that's why. That, that's why college football is cool, because even in a season in which Missouri has had a lot of down moments and they had one of the worst home losses in program history against Tennessee, you find a way to get back to 500 for the season. You get to bowl eligibility. And on a day when Florida decided to fire its football coach, you were able to have a really cool moment for one of your seniors and for your team as a whole. So that's why college football is cool. I think it was success might be a little too far for what this Missouri season was, but they did enough to keep me optimistic. And that's really all that I needed because I knew they weren't going to be great this year. If they had this defense in the first half of the season, they beat Kentucky and they beat Boston college. And you're looking at an eight and four season. And that would have been a success. But where they ended up getting to, if they beat Arkansas on Friday, I was gonna that ask will that. definitely be a success. But as of today, I'm expecting them to lose that game because, again, Arkansas is very good. But if they win that, definitely a success. If they lose it in a borderline close game, they lose by 10 to 13, which is right around where the spread is, I think, right now. Uh, yeah, it, you kept me optimistic about what the future can be for your program as long as you get better quarterback. And play. I think it's a success, too, in this. I would differentiate this from the actual season, but I think this was a successful year for Drinkwitz when you look at the recruiting class that he had. Absolutely. That's huge, in my opinion, for the growth of this program. Yeah, a lot of Illinois success in terms of whether or not you, you view this year as, as being a step forward was on the field. Missouri's was more on the recruiting side of things. Yeah. Missouri's, you could look towards what the future will be if you get those players on campus in this system illinois was wow we've got the system now let's go get the players so Drinkwitz is just a year ahead of where bielema's at i think bielema will be in a similar spot next year uh hopefully that's that's what the fingers are crossed Illinois going to big 10 next year no let's let's not be ridiculous coming up in 15 minutes or so was a pretty awesome weekend in the nfl my team back on track boys Best team in the AFC again? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, let's talk to our guy Joey Vitale. He'll have some Thanksgiving tips for you guys if you're cooking at home. Also, leaves. 
I told you, I can't help you with that. Uh, we'll also figure out what's going on with the Blues. Joey Vitale next on 101 ESPN. We're talking Blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Some good news coming from Blue State earlier today. Jeremy Rutherford passing this along, our Blues insider, saying Craig Berube told the media that Shin is, quote, very close. So you could get Braden Shin back in the not-too-distant future. We're going out now to talk a little Blues with our guy Joey Vitale via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Of course, you will hear him tonight on the call for Blues versus Golden Knights. Pre-game with Alex at 6, puck drop at 7. Joey, Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey. <sighs> What's up? What's up, guys? I'm doing good. Just leaving the rink right now, heading back home. Uh, good morning skate this morning, like you just mentioned, and uh, excited for a good one tonight. Good tilt for the Vegas Golden Knight. Joe, before we get into hockey, BK and I have some life questions that we'd like to throw at you. Oh, i got and, a lot of them if you want to go And my there. first one um, is, is about... Um, about lawn care in the fall because I don't know about you BK and I have just been uh, frustrated over leaf pickup in our backyards I had to do it the other day and uh, Joey I uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to just go into a dark room and cry after that how do you manage leaf pickups at uh, your home you know it's a it's a frustrating one uh, I've gone a little bit in all directions I've hired help I've had the kids do it uh, I did it myself last year to save money. My allergies for the next three weeks uh, paid the price <laughs> yes. big time. So that's that's always a bit of a hiccup. You know, leaves are a funny thing because it, it almost to me you need to, you need to do it in two cycles. Although I will say this fall this year uh, the leaves kind of dropped within a week. I mean, there, there are still some stragglers out there. I mean, Speak you go back to last yourself. fall. Well, I just, <laughs> last year last year was a bit of a bugaboo because there was a there was a first fall. And then it was like a still like a bunch on the on the on the tree for a while. Almost you needed like two or three pickups last year. But I feel like that little cold snap we had with that heavy wind about a week week and a half ago. Um, at least eighty percent of mine are down. But then you run into the neighborly thing. Like then if your neighbors don't pick theirs up, then their leaves come on on your yard. So it's it's not necessarily just about the responsibility of your yard. To me, this is like a neighborhood thing more so than like shoveling shoveling snow. This is. This is like all for one, one for all. We as a neighborhood got to get on the same page and get these leaves picked up because, again, you'll have five guys on the same block that are doing the right thing, picking them up, and then you have one one straggler neighbor, and then their leaves kind of creep on yours. So it's a, it's a funny one. I haven't really sorted through it just yet. So, Joey, I, be I learned last week that I did it all wrong. Uh, this is my first experience as a new homeowner um, with the leaf pickup in the fall. I was, I was unaware that I was signing up for this when I bought the house, but here we are. <laughs> So I, I raked the leaves into, and we're the corner lot, so every, everybody else's leaves come to our place at the end of the of the lot. So I raked them all into, like, individual piles and then picked them up by hand to place them into the uh, the lawn bags. Rookie mistake. Did I do it wrong? What, what would you recommend? What, what's the go-to here? I mean, it kind of depends on where you live. I mean, that's definitely, I think, all kids. And all new homeowners should go through that process. BK, I think, I think you're fine. Um, I, that's how my kids did it for the first couple of years uh, in the exhausting uh, nature of having to bend over constantly and yep. put these in a big bag. Uh, my back course, hurt for I, four days, Joey. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's okay. But <laughs> the thing is, you, you got to be careful because certain towns 
have their bags. And I, I made the mistake of going to Lowe's and I grabbed a bunch of bags. We fill them up. I lay them out to my curb in Kirkwood here and here comes trash day. Here comes lawn day. And, and the truck just came in. I felt like Billy Madison when he's waiting at the, tr- the bus, the bus stop for his first day of school. And the bus just kind of kept on going. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We saw, we saw some lawn bags and I called the city county, uh, the city council there. And I said, Hey, I got some lawn bags. The guy just kind of blew right through them. And then they said, well, we'll send them on back. And they sent them on back. The guys looked at them. They drove off again. Like, well, what's going on? And apparently in Kirkwood, you got to buy the city of Kirkwood lawn bag. Huh. Those ones didn't even work. So then I had to transfer all the ones from the Lowe's bags to the city of Kirkwood bags and then put them all back. It, it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve like like anything else in life, but uh, I think you're off to a good start. Well, Joe, we need to pick up leaves in our yard. The Blues just need to pick me up after that loss to the Dallas Stars the other night, and it's been 500 it hockey. It was a fantastic transition. You're, you're getting the, the best from the Blues like we saw against the San Jose Sharks, Joe, and then you're getting the worst-case scenario where special teams hurts the Dallas Stars. From, from, the, from the big picture here, Joe, what do you think's gone wrong in these last nine or ten games for St. Louis? You know, I'm not going to say there's anything wrong, Alex. I think that I think this is just a good division, you know, and they're, they're playing some really good hockey teams. Uh, granted, this is a good hockey team we have here, but they're playing a lot of really good teams. I mean, I look at that Dallas game. I know it was kind of a, a thorn in the side when you look at two shorties again. That's, that's got to get corrected. That's got to get cleaned up. But aside from that, I actually thought it was a pretty good five-on-five game. I thought it was a tight-checking game. There wasn't a ton of room in the neutral zone for the speedsters of like Thomas and Kyrie to really get up and go. Uh, Dallas did a terrific job of kind of lagging one defense and back. It was hard for the Blues to kind of get in on the forecheck. But this is this is the games you're going to see all season long. You know, and you, you look at some of the chances the Blues had that maybe they didn't counter on. Um, you look at some of the saves Bennington made. I mean, this game, I think that could have gone either way. But the shorthanded goals is something that's definitely got to get cleaned up on, especially tonight uh, in the game here tonight, because you're looking at a, a Vegas power play that's you know, ranked one of the worst in the league. I think 31st, this power play is ranked for Vegas. And so, this, so for this Blues power play, if they, can, if they can get the edge in the game here tonight and they can go out there and create some momentum and get some shots on goal, manufacture a lot at the net, and hopefully chip in one or two, uh, it could be the difference of the game tonight. Joey, I, I was mentioning this earlier today with Alex. I, I think a lot of what we've seen is just bad luck in some ways. Like The Blues are creating a lot of offensive chances, and they're just not going in right now. And some of that is creating your own luck. I get that. But in the month of November, you have zero goals from Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. If you had told me that coming into this month, I would have expected things to go pretty south for this team. How do they get those guys in particular going offensively? You know, it's a it's a great question, BK, and it's the ones that I'm sure that questions like that keep you know Steve Ott and Craig Berube, Jim Montgomery, and Mike Van Ryan up at night because it's a it's a hard thing. You know, sometimes you go through these these ebb and flows of the season. I know Ryan O'Reilly is one of the first ones to ever talk about you know a successful athlete, one of the best in the world. To be the best, it's it's really not about playing good consistently all the time. You know, the best in the world, uh, any athlete for that matter. You know they're going to go through ups and downs, and, and the key to the great ones like Michael Jordan, the Wayne Gretzky's, uh, the Peyton Manning's of the world, the, the difference in those type of players versus the average player is that they manage the valleys and they keep the valleys very, very short. You know, and this is something that Ryan O'Reilly, I don't think he's seen himself being in this long of a valley since he's been in St. Louis. He's one of the best at um, maybe having an off game, but then doing what he needs to do to bounce right back. Um, it, it's a bit of a, a puzzler because. You look at the optional skates we've had over the last couple of days. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's out there. He's working on the things like he was in Dallas. Not a lot of the skaters, not a lot of the regulars were in the Dallas morning skate. 
but he's out there. He's shooting low block or he's trying to go posting in. He's working over and over and over on the things he needs to do to get back in that scoring column. It just unfortunately hasn't happened just yet. You know, David Perron is another one. I talked to Bernie Federico about him uh, briefly this morning at the morning skate. And I asked Bernie, I said, you know, what, what did you do when you were kind of in these slums and these ruts where you'd go five, six, seven, eight, nine games without a goal? And he said, really, Joe, the only way out of it is just by working more towards it. You know, a lot of players, not saying David Perron's doing this, but a lot of players maybe like get away from the game. They think they're, they're over-consumed in the game. I, I need a break. Get me out of here. I, maybe, maybe that'll help. But um, like Bernie was saying, and like Brett Hall has said before, it's the more repetition. It's more. It's scoring more goals in practice. It's getting out there early and shooting pucks. Heck, Brett Hall, he he was famous for whenever he go on a three four game slide, he go out there early in practice and he grabbed like a huge pile, a huge bucket of pucks, and he was just shooting the empty net. And you know, I think we've talked about it on this show even. You know, the, the there's there's a certain amount of like therapy and like mental sharpness that comes with playing catch outside, just hearing that snap of the glove, grab that ball, and then the the fluidity of the ball going right at the glove. Same thing in hockey. When you, when you hear the snap off, off the puck off the stick and then you see the swoosh of the net and that kind of silent swoosh, it's therapeutic for goal scorers where it kind of gets them back in that zone. This is what it feels like to put the puck in the net. And it sounds silly. It sounds childish. But Brett Hall would do that when he would go on those little slides. It really helped him get back. So I think for Ryan and for David, um, doing what they're doing this morning is, is the only way out of this. They were one of the first two out again at morning skate working on their one-timers, working with Bennington. While everyone else is still getting dressed in the locker room, they're out there 20, 30 minutes before skate even starts. So that's really the only way out of it. And I think tonight could be could be one of those nights because David Perron has got some terrific points against his former club in the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, people will be able to hear that right here on 101 ESPN. Blues versus Golden Knights pregame with Alex coming up at 6 o'clock. Puck drop with Joey and Curbs at 7 o'clock. Joey, we'll get you out of here on this one. Thanksgiving is just a few days away now. People are probably, I mean, they many of them already have their plans for what they're going to be cooking. But if you had any piece of advice for people that are going to be hosting their families on Thursday and they are in charge of the cooking whether it's just one particular thing for the turkey that you like to do a um, a special ingredient that you like to throw into one of your 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 pieces of the meal what is something you would recommend for people who are getting ready to host their families for thanksgiving meals well you know the, the one the one probably food food tip a lot of people probably know the yukon gold potatoes uh from a starch level standpoint is probably your go-to potato if you're making the mashed potatoes, I think I've, I talked to Randy and Michelle about this last week. Um, when you boil the potatoes in water, when you strain them, when they're all they're cooked done, then you got to put them back on the stove. That's really important because that what's going to do is it's going to cook all the steam off. So basically, you have these cooked potatoes, but they're full of water, so they're waterlogged. Okay, if you have to add cream and butter, you don't want to add them to already waterlogged potatoes. So you got to get the steam out somehow. So once you strain them, put them back on the pot and allow it to kind of cook on the pot for about yeah, four to five minutes, let that steam kind of go, and then it makes them really, really dry, then they really soak up that cream and butter very well. So that's probably my only food tip. And then aside from that, you know, be thankful. Be thankful for the fact that we have turkeys you can buy in a store. You know I mean? To me, that's, that's what I'm thankful for. Those, those, little boogers, those little boogers are hard to kill. I used to go turkey hunting all the time. Uh, turkey's eyesight, it's like 20 times greater than a human being. I, I go turkey hunting with my dad all the time. You gotta sit these blinds, you gotta sit against a tree that is the width of your body. If you're in a skinny tree, they're gonna they're gonna spot you like that. It's like you come into a room, like a room you're 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 used to being around. If someone moves a picture or move something doesn't feel right in a room, right? That's how turkeys are. This is their home out in the woods, right? But they know every little detail of every tree and every little bush and every little squirrel nest. So when you're out there, you gotta make sure you're very concealed because your eyesight's so good. You move even even like a to scratch your nose and boom, 
those, those little birds, they're off and flying. So I'm really grateful that we got these, these doggone birds. If someone's out there killing these birds for us, well, we just got to go to the store now <laughs> and actually just kind of pick them up and, and, and throw them in the oven because, again, um, they're little devils to kill them. But, and the other thing is wild turkey, they kind of stink. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is. I, I killed a, a few of them. Once you pluck them and then you marinate them and then you cook them, there's some, some sort of weird stench in, in, in the meat. So I'm, just, I'm grateful that I can just go to the store and get a turkey nowadays. I went turkey hunting once, and uh, spoiler alert, didn't didn't you kill anything. You went turkey hunting? I did. BK. I had the whole get up. It, it was it, great. It's fun. It, it's honestly, Alex, it's it's the one the one sporting animal where you actually communicate back and forth with the animal. Like right? in deer, you kind of find their path, and you get you get in the lane, and bam, they're done. Uh, birds, you have dogs if they pick them up, and then boom, they're done. Ducks coming in, flying in. They they think they're joining some buddies on the pile. There's probably some food down there. Boom, later. Um, turkeys are different. You, you're, you're over there. You, you got to go. Ur, 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 ur. You got the hen call, right? You got the hen call, and then you're gonna hear the gobbler, and then you go back and forth, and then all, you really are. You're communicating. I feel like and you then, can do a better gobbler than that. There it is. That that was, that, that was spot on. <laughs> that was like, right right like we were talking to a turkey right there. <laughs> exactly. And then they come in. They strut their feathers. They got these big, beautiful feathers. Big. What are they? They're, they're strutting their stuff, right? That's where, that's where we get the the term strutting your stuff to, to women when you go to a bar because turkeys that come in there, they they. Poof, they puff out their chest. They got the big, you know, colorful feathers. It's, it's it's weird. Humans humans are funny because the females of, of the uh, this can kind of go a bad direction. I got to kill my They they wear the lipstick and they put on the bright clothes. They put on the makeup. Their hair's all dialed up. They get ready three hours before date. In, in nature, it's actually the opposite. Uh, females are very bland looking. Like the hens are just brown. You know, the does, they don't have any horns. Uh, it's the males in nature, like the turkeys, the males, they're the ones that got to show off to the females. So us, us humans kind of got this little bit of ass backwards. Uh, but nonetheless, um, it's, it's a fun hunt. You should try it sometime. So I, I'm just proposing this now, Joe. Next year around this time, you, me, BK, and T-Bone all go turkey hunting together. As long as you leave Curbs at home, because there's no way Curbs can stay silent oh, that no, long. Yeah. Plus, no, yeah, there's no way that would happen. <laughs> Joey, we always appreciate it, man. Have yourself a uh, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, and we'll talk with you again next week, buddy. Sounds great. Thanks, boys. See you, Joey Absolutely. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 text? ESPN. Someone doesn't believe T-Bone uh, that BK went turkey hunting. They said BK did turkey hunting on Nintendo. No, it's true. I agree. I mean, I, I was in high That's school. duck hunting. And I went to the lake with my buddy. I'd had no idea we were going hunting. I would have said no. Uh, but that's how he gets you out there. He showed him like the brightest. Shorts and flip flops. He's no. like, hey. No, he brought everything Tie-dye that I needed. On. There was no getting out of this one. Uh, he he told me as we were on our way. Hey, by the way, tomorrow morning we get up at uh, like three a.m. to go hunting. I said, yeah. excuse me, we do what? No, sir. He said we're go- we're getting up at about three. We'll be out there ready to go and like in the tree stand or whatever the hell it was at like 4 30 nice but jeff the but, uh but i sleep at that time the sun comes out at 5 30 said yeah we got to be ready to go whenever it comes up <laughs> okay joe joe, okay. joe also brought up a great question uh, how good are you guys at gobbles not good joey joey really went for it though let's hear it can. let's hear it no i just can't Come Take on, us to break. Take us to break. Take us to break. Take us to break. Come on. Come on. Go, 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 go. How's that? <laughs> what just happened? You sound like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> just go to break. The NFL next. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. 
NFL if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. The Bills lost to the Colts. The Titans lost to the Texans. The AFC has been thrown into a blender. Blender once again. Thank you for finding Garbage the word disposal? that I was looking for. All look, of them could work. Look, AFC, just go home. You're drunk. Alex, as of today, how would you stack up the best teams in the AFC? No idea. No idea. Not after that loss for the Buffalo Bills. Not after that loss for the Titans. There, there's not a clear-cut favorite in the AFC anymore. So if I were to stack them, I think I would still put Tennessee at number one because that's like multiple ugly losses for the Buffalo Bills. Um, but after that, I mean, it's and the open. Titans just lost to the Texans. Well, I know. And they lost to the Jets. That's what I'm saying. It's open season. There's not a good team in the AFC anymore. Ah, contraire. Oh, geez. my friend. There is one. No, there's not. Oh, boy. I don't know if you've seen, but the boogeyman is coming. Happy learned how to putt. The Chiefs have allowed 20 or fewer points you in just, four straight games. You just referenced like five different things there. That is the longest such streak in the NFL so far this season. No other team in the league has allowed 20 or fewer points in four straight games. Don't give me this. This defense is starting to play well. Cool, but your quarterback can't throw a ball. Chiefs or Patriots, who right now would you take on a neutral field? Which of those two teams do you believe to be better as of today? Patriots. I think I would take the Patriots as well. I just love the way they move the ball up and down the field with Mac Jones and their defense is solid. I so like the way that they exploit the running why, game. That's why when you asked the question of who would you say is the favorite right now in the AFC, I can't believe I've come to this conclusion, but I think it might be New England. Do you know who has the best point differential so far in the AFC? Gotta be New England. Considering you brought it up, I'm almost thinking Kansas City. And actually in NFL, the entire league, it's the New England Patriots. Yeah. Oh. They're at plus 123 so far on the season. They have scored on the year 20 more points than the Chiefs, and they have allowed 80 fewer points than the Chiefs. As of today, if you wanted to make the argument to me that the Patriots are the best team in the AFC, I am here to listen to you. I don't know that I would agree with it. I don't think they have the highest ceiling in the AFC. But if you're asking me which team is playing the best today, I actually think the correct answer is the New England Patriots. Where are we at on the Colts? Because they've won five of their last six. They lost in overtime against the Titans team that just lost to the Texans. I am to the point where I think Jonathan Taylor is a legitimate MVP candidate. I'm there. I'm ready to go there. What about their defense? Running backs do matter. When they're as good as Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry are, they do matter. Now, that's incredibly rare, but Jonathan Taylor yesterday had one of the best games individually that you will see by any player at any position so far this year. He was outstanding. He dominated the bills from start to finish of that game. He is now averaging about six yards per carry. When you're that good, Alex, you matter. And that doesn't matter what position you are. So to answer your question directly, I think the Colts will go as far as their running game can take them. I don't trust their passing game in the postseason, but the defense is fine and their running game's really good. I think they're going to struggle a lot next week whenever they take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because nobody can run against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. That's when they're going to have a, a tough time. Yeah. 1246 on 11. What's today's date? 22. BK admits he likes running backs. Now we just got to get Stalts to change his mind. The other team is the Baltimore Ravens. Like, I don't know how to assess them. Like, they won. Yesterday doesn't matter. Yeah, they, you didn't, they have, didn't Lamar have Lamar Jackson. But I still don't know if they're the clear cut favorite, even when healthy, in the AFC. I think, I think you're right. I think it's the Patriots right now and then everyone else. I think it's the Patriots and the Chiefs. I think those are the two best teams in the conference. But I really it's hard do. for me to say the Chiefs right now because their quarterback 
he has one good game against a really bad defending team, but then that's four consecutive games where he's been unable to throw more than one touchdown. I hear you. Yesterday, he looked like Mac Jones, though. Like the, the performance that we saw yesterday from Patrick Mahomes, if we're going to celebrate what the Patriots are doing this year, that's basically what they've been getting out of the quarterback all year. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire did their best. Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson, whoever's running the ball on any given week for the Patriots, his best impersonation of those guys. And yeah. then the defense was outstanding. So yesterday's performance by the Chiefs is what they're going to need moving forward on those off days where Patrick Mahomes doesn't have his best stuff. But I, I think those are the two teams. If you're looking for the, the teams for me that I would put at the top of the list, I think it's those two. And then I would probably have at this point, Baltimore third. I think Tennessee, I've got to put down at fourth. I, I trusted Ryan Seahill. I don't know if he's I, I don't know if he's as good as I expected him to be. And some of this is as simple as A.J. Brown just hasn't been healthy and they don't have Julio Jones yet. So I, I think that they would probably be fourth for me in the AFC. I think I'm with you. And then where do you put the Bills? Fifth? They're such oh a, shoot! I forgot about. I don't the even bills. know Bills because I got the Bengals hanging out right now too. I I can't trust Josh Allen after I, that. That's yesterday. the thing. That's, yeah, he, I mean he and is the really defense too. Remember we talked about yeah, the, defense the defense has been more surprising in like three games during a span. And now I look at the defense and I go, really? Yeah, this they were defense not a, was supposed to be one of the best in in the league. They were not impressive against the Dolphins, a game that they won. They lost to the Titans, Jags, and now the Colts. The one time they've been super impressive over the last month plus was against the Jets, and the Jets don't count as a real football team. So I'm oh. not gonna I'm not gonna throw that into the mix. I, I'm not super impressed by the Bills right now. I don't think they're gonna win that division. I think the Patriots are gonna win the, the AFC East. I, I think the Colts and the Bengals are a little bit more impressive these last three or four games than the Bills. And you could throw the Chargers in there, and I'd I'd listen to the argument there as well. I think they're all basically the same. But if you're talking upside. I think the Chargers have a higher upside than the Bills do. I think the Bills are a little above for me, the Bengals and the Colts. That's probably where I would put them into that mix. I think I'm with you. I think the Bills have a higher upside than the Titans if Derrick Henry doesn't come back. You could put 11 of these teams in a blender. Whichever one shot out, I'd go, oh, yeah, there we go. I can see that. I will not be surprised whoever makes this Super Bowl unless it's like the Texans. Now, if, like, the Jets popped out of that blender. I don't yeah. know what the hell how that Jets, get in there. Jets, Texans, if they come out, I'm like, whoa, 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 the Dolphins, what the hell happened? Yeah, the the Jets, Jags, Texans, Dolphins, we can write them off. The rest of the conference, I open know, season, man. boys. I think you can write off the Raiders now, too. Oh, I yeah. think they're done. You can I write them off. Fair. I think the, I, I, I would be surprised if the Broncos made the playoffs, but I guess technically that's possible. Mm, they, the write them Raiders off too. were not impressive yesterday at all. They Speaking were of not being impressive, Green Bay Packers, what are we doing here? Are we are we officially worried about the Packers offense and this team as a whole after their last few weeks? I know against Kansas City, that's different. They didn't have Aaron Rodgers. It was Jordan Love. He clearly wasn't ready. Last week against Seattle, that offense did not look good. This week against Minnesota, it was the defense that didn't look good and couldn't find a way to shut down Kirk Cousins. Where are we at on the Green Bay Packers right now? I'm fine with them still. I mean, despite it not being a great week, Aaron Rodgers still did did have four touchdowns. Um, I think this is more along the lines of their team can't be its fullest without Aaron Jones in the backfield. I think that's their biggest weakness right now, not having their running game because that's the threat. I mean, it's very similar to what the Tennessee Titans have for themselves. Their quarterback, although I think Rodgers is much better than Ryan Tannehill, but if you don't have the running back, things change. So I'm still, I'm still under the impression that when at full strength, Green Bay is one of the better teams in the NFC. I think I'm with you. And 
it, it starts with the running back too, but also I just think Minnesota played a great game. Minnesota yesterday. was really good. Mike I, Zimmer was ready. I don't think Minnesota's that team. I, I think if you put Green Bay up against them next week, Green Bay would probably kill them. I think it was just Minnesota showed up in a good way last I week. I think Minnesota's better than we give them credit for. I think they're good. I think Minnesota I think struggles if Aaron Jones is in that game. I'd Maybe. agree with that. That defense can't. I don't think that defense can handle that type of runner. Minnesota every week is going to come down to the final possession. Yeah. Like yeah. they lost in overtime against Cincinnati. They lost by one against Arizona. They lost by seven against Cleveland. They lost by four against uh, Dallas. They lost in overtime against Baltimore. Every one of their losses comes down to the wire. This is the Kirk Cousins that you signed up for. Their only game so far this season that has been decided by more than one possession was a win against Seattle in week three. Every other game has been decided by one possession so far this season. So whether they're winning or they're losing, everything's a 50-50 game at this point. That being said, can we go through their schedule real quick? Oh, boy. Talk about Minnesota maybe being a playoff team that is actually intriguing. On the road at San Francisco, win or loss for you guys, for Minnesota? I'll say loss the way San yeah, Francisco's Yeah, I was going to say, that was a pretty good game, and they didn't have uh, Mitchell in their backfield, Guys, so I'd say that's a loss. San Francisco went from west to east and won yesterday. Who could have seen it oh, happening? It's almost like it doesn't it. matter. Hey, your theory doesn't matter. At Detroit? That's a win. That's a win. God, I feel so bad for Detroit. They've had multiple games oh. where they should have won, and they can't close the door or uh, seal the deal. My God. Uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh? Uh, I think that's a win. That's a win. At Chicago? That's, that's a win. win. Los Angeles Rams? That's probably a win. I think that's a win for the Rams. I don't think yeah, it's a win. For the no, Vikings. I think that's a win for the Vikings. Okay. Especially towards the end of the season at Green Bay. I think I'm that'll be a loss. a loss. Yeah. Especially after this week, Chicago win. Yeah, that's a win. So you've got three or four wins. If they, if they're able to get this win on set on Sunday against San Francisco, we I think that the nine. Minnesota Vikings are, are a playoff team for you. I, I think you got to get to nine in the NFC this year. And if they're able to win on Sunday, that's how they do it. So I, the Vikings are right there. They're on the cusp. It's them, New Orleans, San Francisco, Philly, and Carolina. Those are the five teams right now battling for two spots in the NFC. I think Sunday decides between the 49ers and the Vikings, which one of those two stays alive for one of those two final wild card spots. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, how much does personality play into the Cardinals' offseason decisions? I think nothing. There are some who might disagree with that, though. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Sometimes it's just not your day, Alex. We've all been there. We've all had those moments where it's like, ah, it's just... I think it's time to get this one over with, and maybe tomorrow will be better. Time to go to bed. Well, for this 25-year-old gentleman, Saturday was one of those days. He and his girlfriend were driving around town, and suddenly, boom, boom, boom. Car, uh... Turkey? Car stops. Whoa, what did we hit there? That was weird. What happened? A bowling ball was rolled underneath their car. Oh, that somebody's trying to carjack him well yeah really so Boy, that was a shot in the dark somebody rolled a bowling ball underneath their car the car stops the gentleman gets out of the car he's like what the bleep why why do we how the hell was there a bowling ball why is there a bowling ball being rolled underneath our car how'd this get in the middle of the road 
So he goes underneath the car. He's trying to figure out how to get this out from underneath it, right? I don't know anything about cars, but apparently there's stuff under there that, you know, try to find, figure out how to get it out yeah. from underneath it. Unfortunately, as he was underneath the car trying to do that, another guy opens up the door where his girlfriend is driving and tries to grab her purse. Well, there's a struggle that ensues. Oh, boy. You're bringing a damn bowling ball to just steal a purse? Well, he rolled the bowling ball underneath the car. Car is stopped. The guy gets out of the car, tries to get the bowling ball from underneath. Another guy who apparently rolled the bowling ball. He is now in a struggle with the woman who was in the driver's seat for her purse. She tries to get away from the situation. So she puts the car in reverse as her boyfriend boyfriend? (laughs) underneath the car. Is this a homicide junk drawer? No, he is. I want to say this out front. He is in stable condition. She rolled over him. Not once. Nope, that wasn't enough. She double tapped? (laughs) She rolled over him twice. First time just wasn't quite enough. She double tapped? Apparently they got away. The suspect ended well, yeah, up. Yeah, they got away because there. the guy was like, oh, "There's a dead body here. I need to run." Yep. So uh, we don't have a whole lot more details at this point in time. I it, they're in this story. It does not say if they have found uh, this individual who apparently rolled the bowling ball underneath the car. Did they get the bowling ball out from under the car? I would hope so. I would think that 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 was probably part of it. Can you imagine, man? You're this guy. You're trying to be a good Samaritan for your girlfriend. You got a bowling ball that rolled underneath your car. You're just trying to get it out so that way you guys can go home. And then she rolls over you twice with your car. Twice. I just don't understand Oof, how you roll. Not if, a great if day, If you roll man. over her twice, you would have had to pull forward. Yeah. So she rolled over him. Unless, mm-hmm. unless the ball was on in the back. Yeah, but like, are, are we saying one row of tires and another row of tires? Or did she roll over them and then go forward? It does not specify. And then roll back During over During the struggle over the purse, the woman pressed her foot on the gas pedal and heard a yell from underneath the car, which had rolled over her husband. Oh, so she rolled over him once. Uh, nope. Then she put it in reverse and rolled over her husband a second time. <laughs> That feels like it oh, might have so been she on probably purpose. went forward and then backwards again. Maybe when you hear the yelp, maybe don't you know. Well, then maybe she didn't maybe hear the yelp. Though. Roll over him. If she's screaming because the person's trying to steal her purse, but if you're the guy and you hear your girlfriend screaming in the car, aren't you going to come out from underneath the car? The woman pressed her foot on the gas and heard a yell from under the car, which had rolled over her husband. She heard it. She heard it. She might have just wanted to hear it again. You know what? Frankly, this Let's is press on, our luck a little bit. You here. know what? This is on the boyfriend. If you hear oh. your girlfriend yell, you get out from you underneath know what? I feel the like car. It's kind of quick bang bang. It's not. It, the story makes it sound like it was they struggled. Well, it's got to take while. time for the guy to come running wherever he rolled the bowling ball to get into the vehicle. He probably That's, really liked that bowling ball. And that to take also it feels like a long con. Also, don't you? Yeah, also, don't you hear the person come running towards the car who's going to break in to steal the purse? Feels like she might have been in on this. I don't know that to be true, but it feels like she might have been in on it. Don't you think the girlfriend would see it too? Yeah, this see is coming. Two one seven sounds like a murder for hire plot. I think yeah. that's what this was. And you know, like in Tiger King. Yes, uh, that is correct. Allegedly. Sure. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, we will play a game of in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. That's coming up at one fifteen. But next, does personality play into the Cardinals' offseason decisions at all? It could with one pitcher in particular. We'll tell you who that is and why I don't think it should matter. But I wonder if it might. We'll talk about it next on one hundred and one ESPN. 
This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Listening to Character and Smallman, and you should check out their full podcast available on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. And Randy said something that I found to be interesting, Alex. He was talking about Marcus Stroman and his Twitter persona. I don't think this stuff matters very much, but I could understand how somebody would view it as being something of significance. Here's what Randy Character had to say earlier today about Stroman and whether or not he would be a fit with the Cardinals. Marcus Stroman, who is apparently a rather acerbic personality. Do you think the Cardinals would go there with a guy that all they have to do is read his Twitter or his Instagram to know that he has a tendency to get into battles with people on social media, especially the, the regular media that covers the team? I don't think that matters. I don't think it should matter. I also know that there have been moments when Yadier Molina's Instagram has become something that has made some headlines here in St. Louis. I know there are some that don't like Jack Flaherty's use of social media as well. I don't care about any of that stuff, to be totally honest with you, Alex. But it is something to consider as we go into the offseason. He's very active on Twitter, Marcus Stroman. He's tweeting right now about all different kinds of fan bases. I know there are some who have been excited because he tweeted the other day about how Cardinals fans have been tweeting him a lot. And he's he's pretty excited about that. Whatever. He's drumming up interest. Good for him. Do you care about this? And do you think the Cardinals will or should care about this? I don't think I care about this in terms of Marcus Stroman because uh, just scrolling through his Twitter. I I mean, it's not it's not like he's coming on here and you know, taking individual shots at people. I mean, he's being honest about the game. People talk about what they don't like from Marcus Stroman. He's saying, well, that's not how it goes from the game's point of view. And here's why I don't think it's anything that you look at and say, oh, well, you can't sign this guy because he's like this. Um, frankly, I'm looking at Marcus Stroman's Twitter account. And what's the difference between Marcus Stroman's? And like you said, Jack Flaherty's like Yadier Molina's like Harrison Bader's. He's just more active. This is how the world is. And it's not going to stop with Marcus Stroman because the more you go deep or the, the longer you go with younger players, the more active they're going to be on social media. So um, if I have an opportunity to sign Marcus Stroman and he's going to make me a better team, and it's not going to cost me my entire roster. No, I don't care about his social media account. If you have a problem with it, you talk to him about it because he's played for the Mets. Maybe this is how New York works. We know how Steve Cohen is, but if if social media is what's blocking me from signing a guy who's going to make me a World Series contender, no, I don't care. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't really care about the social media thing because, like you said, it's more to me about what what is your product on the field and does it help propel me towards a World Series title? And if the answer is yes... I don't really care what you do on social media, as long as it's nothing that becomes a distraction for the team, and long as it's something that just doesn't come back in terms of something that yeah. is illegal that I should be worried Look about. Look at what happened with Carlos Martinez. I mean, it found a way to get through it, you know? Well, he was just liking porn on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> I would say that's like, all that was. I would say liking porn on Twitter is a lot worse than Marcus Stroman coming on Twitter and talking about the game. So he he does more than that. Like that that's selling it pretty. Does he like porn on Twitter? No, 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 no. Don't start that. No, no, no. Um, What just happened? He first of all he he gets political on Twitter, and and I I 
I'm curious to see how that would go here because I know that's been one of the points of contention for some with Jack Flaherty. Right, wrong, indifferent. I'm not even getting into whether or not that should be the case. I'm just saying it is. For some, Jack's stances on certain issues is a problem. Whatever. We'll set that to aside for a second. That's part of it. He also was more than happy to go back and forth with whether it be media personalities or fans if thing if he believes that fans are calling out the players unfairly. Okay. So I'm with you. That sounds great right now until they're in a five-game losing streak. Fans are upset, and they're tweeting at Marcus Stroman because he just gave up five runs and three innings in his last start, and he's going back at them, and he's got a five-year, $125 million okay, contract. But what is he saying to them? Is he coming after them as as individuals and taking personal shots, or is he attacking their thoughts on what is wrong with his game? Those are two different things here, and I don't see or haven't heard Marcus Stroman going on social media and attacking individuals' looks, personalities, sure. being crazy. Cruel, I've seen him attack people that are saying, oh, Marcus Stroman can't throw the ball, and he's giving them what's gone wrong with his pitches. There's a yeah, difference there. I, I think there are also moments where he goes in and basically says, like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Maybe not in those specific words, but more or less, you don't know what you're talking about. Quit criticizing if you've never gone out there and played ball like I am. Um, I don't care. I want to make this very clear. I don't care about any of this. I think it's silly to make this something that matters when you're making these kinds of decisions. I am just curious how that would fit here in St. Louis. In New York, that's not a big storyline because there's a million different things going on in New York. In St. Louis, if he says something inflammatory on Twitter, it becomes a story here because the Cardinals are the the front page news throughout the course of the season. And if their $25 million a year pitcher is saying something inflammatory on Twitter, yeah, that's going to be covered in a big way. I don't think it matters. I would sign Marcus Stroman regardless because I think he's a really good pitcher. I am very curious to see how that would go in real time throughout the course of a season when there are ups and downs and it's not all going to be a honeymoon while he's here, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, and and you, like I said, I think individual players can be different for individual teams. Maybe there's a lot looser policy on social media on other teams that he played for compared to if he comes to the Cardinals. And maybe if they say, hey, need you to be a little bit quieter on social media, Maybe he is. I don't know. But I think the reason that this is, quote-unquote, a problem for some people is because of the Randy Rosarena scenario. Because everyone assumes he was traded because of that Instagram Live video of Mike Schilt celebrating. And that was harmless. Like, that's different. And I don't even know if that's why he was traded away. So, I just... There's a narrative that the Cardinals won't sign these individuals, and there have been stories that say, you know, well, this guy was vocal in the locker room, or this guy didn't take things too seriously... But everything we've heard of Marcus Stroman is that his teammates love him. And I think if you're somebody signing that player, that's the only thing that matters. If your teammates love you and you get along with players in the clubhouse, you're a good piece to a team. I think he's got some Tommy Pham to him. And him here. Was he stabbed? Twice? <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I think he's got the chip on his shoulder the way that Tommy Pham did while he was here. And that's fine. I want those players. I do too, man. You know, I, I Tommy Pham's one of my favorite players. And I, I wish that he was able to continue playing here in St. Louis. He was great. I, I mean, he was traded for, uh, for a reason. I don't know that his uh, personality was a great fit. For the Cardinals, for better or worse, I thought it was fine. I loved having Tommy Pham here. I thought he was excellent for us. 
I just don't know, man. I really don't know. I, I don't make much of this. I don't think it's a big deal. When Randy brought it up, though, I was like, I hadn't even considered it. Hadn't even really given it a second of thought as to whether or not his Twitter account was going to be something that I had to um, price into what it's he's going to get as a free agent. But welcome to 2021, I guess. And this is where we are. I don't think it matters. Look, I can't imagine it's going to stop the Cardinals from signing him. But maybe it will for some. Here's where I'm at on this. And this is uh, this is a stat um, on, on social media about Marcus Croman. Among 50 pitchers who pitched 100-plus innings at night in 2021, which however you oh want to look God. at this. I what know. are we doing? Baseball stats. In, in terms of the three lowest XFIPS. Oh I know. We're going deep with this. I'm looking at this right now. Marcus Stroman was third best in Major League Baseball. Okay. I know what you just threw out, but I'll pretend to be impressed. Like I said, wow. 50 pitchers who pitched 100-plus innings at night in 2021 with three lowest XFIPs. Marcus Stroman's the third best. There's your data. Sign the guy. Who cares about social media? Let me give you a media? different stat. Marcus Stroman's a really good pitcher. That's not a stat. That's an <laughs> opinion. I gave you a stat. You love the data. That one's a XFIPS. little... XFIPS. Co- what the hell just happened? XFIPS. Expected FIPS. There's where it was. I was going to get there sooner or later. What? I'm, I still feel like you. I made don't that know up. who. I don't know who gave that stat. They they should do better. Well, that's cute. Coming up in fifteen minutes or barbecue. so. Is the sky falling or are the Blues just in a slump right now? We'll talk about that coming up at one thirty. But next six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out here on one hundred one ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. A good one. 65780 yeah. is the air comfort service sex line for in or out. Let's start out with this one. In or out. As Steven Matz signs for a three year, $30 million this week, you would like the Cardinals to be the team that does it. Three years, $30 million for Steven Matz, the left handed pitcher, formerly of the Mets and the Blue Jays. If he does that, you hope that Cardinals are the team that signs him. I'd say I'm in on that. 10 years per year, three year deal. I'd say I'm in on that one. 10 million per year. Yes. That's what I said. Three years, 10 million per year. He said said 10 years per year, but close. 10 years per year. What's wrong with that? Three year deal, 10 years per year. (laughs) (laughs) You having a stroke, man? Three years, $30 million. Yeah, you're right. Okay. What what am I missing here? You said 10 years per year. I might be having a stroke. I might be having a stroke there. Yeah, I, I think if it's three for 30, I think I'd be down for that. Because I think about 10 million is where Matt should be about. When you start talking about the $15 million range, that's when I start to get a little weary, wearisome about it. So, yeah, I'm in on that. If it's three years, 30 million or two by 20, that's something I could get behind Ooh, the Cardinals doing. I think I did just stroke out there for a minute. <laughs> I don't know what happened to I, you. Uh, I would sign up for this. Absolutely. If it's $10 million per year, 10 year, I'm happy to sign Steven Matz. That's a steal, in my opinion. If it gets into the $15 million range, that's where I'm going to be more hesitant to See, do I so. Think it, even at 12, I think I'd be hesitant. I don't know if you should be spending more than 10 per year on a pitcher unless it's Scherzer. I'd do 13 per year for two years. If I get a, if I get one fewer years, I'd up the annual salary. But if you're going to go to the three-year threshold, I think I can get a better pitcher for that. I think I could go to like John Gray and get him for three years, and I think the upside on him is a little higher. So I would rather go that route if I'm going to go the three years, 15-ish million dollars per year. 
If I'm not going that high, though, yeah, I think it would be great to have Steven Matt signed by the end of the week. I think that'd be great. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Cardinals will sign at least one pitcher to a 20-plus million dollar contract this offseason. I'm out on this one. I don't think they're going to spend two-thirds of what their available salary this offseason on pitching. I think they I think they understand that there's other areas that have to be upgraded. So I think you're looking at 10, 12 mil per year, but I think past that you're not going above that. So I think I'm out on the 20 mil per year. Did I say that right? Yeah. Seriously, I don't I don't know where I'm at right good. now. That's good. Uh, I think I'm out on that as well. I don't I'll be honest with you. I don't know if the Cardinals are going to spend over 15 million for a for a guy this offseason. I just don't get that MO from them. And they're talking about you know, they want to add starting pitching, but then we're told the pitching market's not that deep. I don't think that they're going to spend over $20 million for a guy. 15 maybe they'll get close to that, but even then I find it hard to believe they're going to do it, so I'm out on this. I feel like this question is basically, do you think the Cardinals are going to sign Marcus Stroman? Or, or Max Scherzer. Or, or Max Kevin Scherzer. Gossman. Yeah, or Kevin Gossman, I guess, would be the other one. Robbie, Robbie Ray. Ray. Yeah. I think the answer is no. I, I don't expect that they would sign any of those. I got to say, I'm kind of intrigued by the Scherzer thing again. I go up and down with this. You could convince me that it makes sense. I guess the question, though, is are you comfortable with that being your only real move this offseason? Because the Cardinals, since midseason, said the lesson to be learned from their 2021 year was to make sure they've got the depth ready to go. If you sign Max Scherzer, it's a, a bet on him, of course. But it's also a bet on your internal improvements. So it's you betting on Juan Yepes and Lars Newtbar and Rondon and your shortstops that you have currently on the big league club and the pitchers last year who weren't ready being ready for 2021 if called upon. So you're talking Woodford, Oviedo, Liberator. Those guys all have to be ready to go next year and be quality players for you at the big league level. If you go this route with Scherzer, I don't think they'll go that route. I'm intrigued by it, though, man. I got to tell you, I, I think it'd be super fun to watch. That guy is awesome. And if you were going to make one improvement somewhere, if you had to, if I told you right now, we're going to sign one player this offseason, that's it. It's going to be our, our entire offseason. Would you go Scherzer or one of the shortstops? Can I get any of them? Sure. I mean, Yeah, because it's going to be $30 million per year. Get real and frisky. Be one one move the, could be Matt Duff. <laughs> it'd be one of the shortstops. Be Seager, Correa, one of those guys. If I had one move to make, I'm with you because I, they impact a game seven, six, seven days a week. Max Scherzer impacts once every five days. So to me, it would be more of an impact to bring in a shortstop in a position the Cardinals clearly don't have a uh, solution for. To me, it would be the shortstop. I would get Correa. If I could get one player on this market, money notwithstanding, I would go with Carlos Correa. That would be the guy that I would add. I, I think he's the best player on the market. I've got the fewest questions about him. If I took Correa and Seager off of the table, because it doesn't seem like they're legitimate options for this team, given the way that they're going to spend too many years. If I told you one of the other shortstops, so we're talking Story, Simeon, or Baez, Baez versus Max Scherzer. I'd go. Oof. I'd still go shortstop. I think I'd still go shortstop because I still think those bats are going to make a difference. And, I, and the reason I say it is because I think Story's going to take a shorter-term deal, and we talked about it earlier. 
to me, they don't have a solution internally, and that solution is Mason Wynn, but he's still a couple years away. If Story's going to go three years, which I think he'll go about three to four, I'd be willing to jump on that in a heartbeat and pass on Max Scherzer because he's going to impact the lineup every day, fills that spot at shortstop. He's going to hit probably second, third, somewhere in that spot for me in the order. I think he's just a much better fit and impacts the game much more than Max Scherzer. I still think you can find another pitcher cheaper who can make an impact on this roster. Not Scherzer impact, but can make an impact. I think I'd go Scherzer. If I if I was deciding between Scherzer or Story, um, Baez and Simeon, I think I'd go Scherzer. I think that's where I'm at now. I'm all, I'm all out on your boy Yepes in that in that situation. Well, now you're all in. Now you're ready to <laughs> well, not block Yepes. I would have to force myself to be all in on Yepes at that point because he's he's got to be good. He's Better probably going to be your designated be good, hitter. Because your you offense know, will be the exact same. Yeah. We talked about, you know, this this is really betting on those young guys on the offensive side of things. I don't know about you guys, but I do feel a little bit better heading into this year with a Oviedo, with a Libertor. If you had Thompson, to bet on Woodford, younger players position-wise, Younger players pitching-wise, who would you put more money on? Like, which one's going to be better next year for this team? Just in in whole. Which the, one's going to be more impactful, maybe? In group. The hitters or the pitchers? I think the pitchers are going to be better long-term. If I'm talking about this season. Yeah, for the 2022 season, I, I think I would bet on the hitters. I think I would bet on Gorman, Yepes, and Newt Barr over like the trio of Oviedo, Liberator, and Woodford. I'm with you. I think I would bet on them, but the problem is you're taking a really risky bet on those guys because if they don't pan out and they look overwhelmed, you can't fix that necessity in the middle of the season. You could fix it with the pitchers. See, that's where I push back a little bit because I think if anything showed us this year, you could fix it because you could go out and acquire some pieces. They're kind of rentals. What bats can you acquire in the middle of the season? I mean, look at the Braves. Braves acquired a Josh Peterson. That was at the trade deadline. That's what I'm saying. But if you wait till the trade deadline to try and fix your offense, if it's stale and those guys aren't ready, I think you're going to be behind the eight ball. I think the division is so weak that Cardinals can take that route. That's why I'm also worried about this (laughs) offseason. Oh, did I just pull a mo? You just pulled a mo, and there's why I'm nervous. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out guys in or out Cincinnati officially clinched a spot in the college football playoff this weekend with Oregon's loss T-Bone take it they should have they should have they should be four the only team that you could probably put ahead of them when looking at the rankings is Michigan and I don't think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State and then it comes down to are you going to put an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State one loss team from the Big 12 that wins that that conference or no, I guess there could be two losses because if mm-hmm. Oklahoma loses and then Oklahoma State loses the conference championship, there's really nobody out of the Big 12. And we saw the ACC get eliminated this weekend with Wake Forest losing to Clemson. To me, I feel like unless Clem- or Cincinnati loses, yeah, they should be in the top four. I can't wait till Michigan's number four, though, tonight when yeah. they re- or tomorrow when they release the college football playoff rankings. I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure Cincinnati's not in the top four. I think I, I don't think that there's anything they can do at this point. Because Georgia will play Alabama. If Georgia wins that game, Alabama then has two losses. Ohio State is going to play Michigan this weekend. One of them will have two losses. You can take that out of commission, whether it be Ohio State or Michigan. Notre Dame lost head-to-head against Cincinnati. Their one loss this year, Notre Dame's, is against Cincinnati. You can't convince me that Notre Dame deserves it over Cincy when Cincy beat them head-to-head. Oklahoma will play Oklahoma State this weekend. One of them is going to have two losses on the season, and it's really hard for me to believe that either of those teams deserves it at this point more than Cincy. 
I think since he's in and barring yeah. something, barring something unforeseen, they've got to win out, but barring something unforeseen, I think they have clinched a playoff spot and I'm excited to see what that looks like. They might get slaughtered. They're going to go. Fine, at least I got in. The overwhelming likelihood is they'll end up being the fourth seed. They'll be the number four team and they're going to go up against Georgia and they're going to get whooped in that game. That doesn't mean they were undeserving because anybody that was in that spot was See, probably going to end up getting whooped by what Georgia. What if they get the three, though? And the reason I say that is because if Alabama loses, Alabama loses and Michigan loses, then you're going to have to put Ohio State up to two, move Cincy to three, and then you can't put Notre Dame ahead of them, in my opinion. I mean, I can, I can see the college football playoff being Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Oof. What do you if that's do? the case, I would take Cincinnati over Ohio State. Oh, I would oh, too. Ohio State's offense is so good right now, man. My God, they are they good. awesome over the weekend. CJ Stroud's probably going to end up winning the, uh, the Heisman. It's like the quietest Heisman season we've maybe seen in recent years. But I, I just think the Cincinnati offense can keep up with them. What happens to a two-loss Alabama? Who's their one-loss two outside of Texas A&M. A&M? I think you're out. That's a bad loss. And I know A&M's ranked, but... They're not. At There's that no point way time, Alabama's out. So you'd have Georgia as your number one seed because they will have beat them head to head. Thirteen and zero. You'll have the Big Ten winner between Ohio State or Michigan. You'll have Cincinnati. And then, then it comes down to Notre Dame, and if Oklahoma State or Oklahoma yeah. wins the Big Twelve, OU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and Alabama. There's nobody with one loss in the Pac-12 still, right? They're done. Get- Pac-12's over. There's, so is the ACC. Mm-hmm. There's yep. no way. I think we put UTSA in. There's no way that they keep Alabama out. I think they get in over Oklahoma. Or o- oh, man, that's tough. There's, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State versus Alabama. I think that's it the depends how close Alabama keeps it with Georgia. I mean, they were not that impressive this weekend against Arkansas. No, they barely lost or yeah. barely won. Yeah. Arkansas is really good. Pe- people underestimate that team. They're really, really good. good. I, mean, I bet against Georgia them three times. Them. Georgia slaughtered them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a bloodbath for Georgia. I just, I, for in no way, shape, or form can I see Al- Alabama not Alabama making it. Alabama loses by two scores. I think they're out. Man, that's that's an interesting one. That's where the decision comes down. It's if Georgia beats Alabama, whoever the Big Ten champion is, they're they're in. Cincinnati gets in. Then what do you do with Alabama, guys? I won't be able to come into work though the next day when that comes out. If it is Georgia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, slash or Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And then a two-loss Bama, they leave Cincinnati Oh, for out. Cincinnati? Ooh, I, I won't be able to come in, guys. <laughs> That's when the real hey, criticism of the playoff comes in. It's all about money. It ain't about That's who's true. the better team. It's all about money, and guess who brings in the most? Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah, not Cincinnati. Yeah. The no. answer is not Cincinnati. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Sorry. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over at the fast lane in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, do you miss the NHL's series style scheduling? Apparently the players do. Could it be coming back in the near future? We'll talk about it next. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Things over the fast lane here in just about five minutes or so. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Do you guys miss the way that the schedule was laid out last year? Absolutely not. The series style of scheduling was something they tried out for the first time during the pandemic, and apparently players were a big fan of it. And I know Alex hated it, especially when they had to play Arizona. Arizona. What seven straight games? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. 
Let's never do that again. I think nobody is in favor of something like that. However, according to The Athletic, there were multiple players, like as many as a dozen that they interviewed, that said they kind of miss going with that. There was less travel that took place during the course of the season, and they were able to enjoy the cities that they went to a little bit more. And they wish that they were able to do that while it was more normal as opposed to what it was last year where you had all the protocols that were taking place. Alex, do you think it's something that the league should consider? In the future, I'm not suggesting they go to the three, four, five games in a row, but for the blues, for example, when they're playing central opponents in particular, do you think it could make some sense to do like what they did against Los Angeles, where the blues played back to back games against them here on a Saturday and then a Monday and do that more often? I I don't think that they should um, from a fan's perspective. Now, from a player's perspective, yeah, because it's going to do less wear and tear on the players throughout the season. And frankly, I think you're going to get more entertaining games because they're not as exhausted as it would be of traveling back and forth. But from a fan's purposes, no, because what you're going to do is you're either going to have a heavy central division matchup for an 82 game schedule, which you might be talking about playing eight, 10 games against them, which would be fun. But the problem is you see some scheduling where you're going to get all the central division games out of the way early. And I think like the perfect example is against the Dallas stars. I believe the blues will play the Dallas stars two more times in December, once in January, and then be done with them. Like that's bad scheduling to not play a central division opponent with rivalry purposes. If there's playoff implications towards the end of the season. And the other thing of why I I think you're going to take away from an 82 game schedule. If you do this schedule, You don't get to see the Eastern Conference teams. You won't get to see all of those Eastern Conference teams. Imagine if this season it was heavier on the Central Division and the Pacific Division in the West to where you're playing more games against them to to make it easy on the schedule, but you don't get to see the Washington Capitals and you don't get to see Alex Ovechkin. I think that takes away from some of the enjoyment from the fans' purposes. But you don't have to play the teams 10 times for this to work. Like You could could still do, in terms of the formatting of the schedule, you could still play these teams, say, four times each. Not, then not you're every... only going to see them twice in a schedule. Because if you're going back-to-back against them, you're going to see them two games and then two games. And then that just goes to the point of you're not going to see these guys when games are more important. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would mind it, though. If you could put, I, I think you put it towards the front end and the back end of the schedule. I think that's the way you make it work, especially for the divisional foes. I think that could make the last month of the season even more entertaining mm-hmm. because now you've packed the punch of potential movement inside of your division for the playoff standings into that final month or so of the season. That's what the NFL decided to do. If you look at any of these teams' schedules, you look at the month of December, look at who they're playing. They're playing against their divisional opponents because the NFL wanted to make it so that those games mattered as much as possible there at the end. I I think it could work. I do think there's a way that they could make this happen. It couldn't be the majority of the schedule just because it'd be too difficult logistically to make that happen. But I, I think for the players, they would like to see it because it allows for fewer travel days. Uh, they, they don't have to go from here to Colorado, back to here, back to Colorado. Instead, it's just here, here, Colorado, Colorado. And so that eliminates two travel dates for the, the those players. I do think you could see better product on the ice. And if they are less sleep deprived over the course of the season, this might sound like a small thing. It could potentially be a really big thing for the players. I I think it would be worth at least trying out, maybe test it out for next season. If it goes well, stick with it. If you decide that it's not something you want to do long term, that's fine. You didn't really change all that much about what the the league was, the format. I think it'd be smart. I 
I, I would be in on it if it was where you could keep where you saw everybody. And that would mean that you'd have somewhere it was back-to-back ones like with Chicago and Colorado, and then you'd have to sprinkle in those road trips where it's just one game with teams like the Islanders and then Detroit and all those on the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't mind it. I generally like the – I see a different team pretty much other nights, and I get it. It's tough for on players. But I, I enjoy that a lot better because, like, it got old seeing the Sharks two games. And then we a couple weeks later, we see the Sharks two games later. And I get it. It would be different because you're not just playing seven teams like you had last year in your conference. I just kind of like the sprinkling of seeing something new because one night you're playing a West Coast team. And then two nights later, maybe you're playing an Eastern Conference team that likes to get up and down the ice a little quicker. I just like seeing things a little differently. I, that's why I like this upcoming trip when they play. What are they? They play Tampa, Florida, Tampa, Florida, pretty much in, like, a yep. two-week span. Eh, you know, it just doesn't excite me as much. But, uh, you know, still, I still like it where it's sprinkled around a little bit There's something special to be said about postseason and hockey to where you play a team seven times in a row, and that builds rivalry. And I know people would say, like, we just got a text from Drew saying, from a fan's perspective, I want this here. Consecutive games help build drama, more fights. Look, fights don't happen that often in the regular season anymore, and I don't think playing a team consecutively is going to make a difference. For me... It would be awesome in terms of travel purposes, but if you're playing a team six times in a season, a Central Division opponent, and you get two of those three series out of the way in the first two months of the season, I just think that takes away from the impact of what the matchups really look like when you spread them throughout an 82-game schedule. That, that's the other thing for me is, like, I, I do, in theory, it sounds like, okay, we'd create more rivalries. Like, you're playing Chicago back-to-back nights, maybe the blood gets heat. There's so much turnover in rosters nowadays that there's really, to me, there's no such thing as a rivalry. For those guys don't. Those guys don't carry over stuff from previous games. Even like, look when they played the Coyotes seven times. Like they were more so of like, let's get done with this rather than carry stuff over. No, it sucks. There like, was that, no that was fights. Terrible. There were no fights and last year in terms of the second game of back to backs because of carryover. People are going to point to the who did the who were the blue the Colorado series where the Blues have fought. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, Landeskog? Yeah, Landeskog, where Shen fought him. Yeah, they fought Landeskog. People are going to point that. We'll say that was rivalry. No, that was just a team, really, a rivalry with one guy. That wasn't a rivalry with the whole team. And it continued into the 2021 season. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They don't don't carry over from games. You carry over from individuals that you remember. Look, Justin Falk stepping up for Tyler Bozak. And, like, you were, I'm sorry, Tyler, or... Stone and then the Thank one. You. Yeah, with, I was going to uh, say Colorado whoever well. stepped up with the Colorado hit Nazem Kadri. That's the one that you remember there. Yeah, it, I don't think that this would do a whole lot for rivalries. To be totally honest, like I think that's an overblown thing. I I don't think in general there's a whole lot you can do to manufacture that. That comes mm-hmm. out of moments. That comes out of players. That comes out of spite between teams. That and really that comes out of playoffs. That that's where all of that comes from yeah you build those rivalries that way but i do think there's a way that you can make the regular season a little more enjoyable for the players and they're the product if the players are saying and they're saying this publicly there were 10 to 15 quotes in here that were really spreading the gospel of how great last season was scheduling wise if they're telling you this is something that we would like to do we think this will make the game better i don't know what the downside is to try it for a year Maybe it doesn't end up going well and you decide, you know what, whether that be for ticket sales or marketing, whatever it might be, this isn't what we were hoping for and we're going to go a different direction. You can scrap it after one season, but if the players are telling you this is a good idea and they think this is going to work well for them, 
I think you at least give it a shot for one year and see what that ends up looking like. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues do not have this schedule right now. They are back in action, though, tonight. Pre-game coverage for Blues versus Vegas coming up at 6 o'clock with Alex. We'll have the puck drop right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. with the fast lane we got anthony stalter in studio with us stalts what's good man how you doing it's good man everything's good Weekend was, weekend was solid for you? It was great. It was great. Um, some fun football on both the college and the NFL side of things. I officially have thrown up my hands when it comes to trying to figure out what the AFC is at this point. Like, uh, okay, so we're going to go ahead and have the Texans beat the Titans now? All right, cool. We're going to have the Colts demolish the Bills in Buffalo? Sweet. So I have no idea what to make of the AFC at this point in time, but it's a lot of fun to watch every weekend. Is there anything right now in either conference that you can say is definitive? Yes, I know definitively that the Jets and okay. besides, the Jags, besides those teams being <laughs> they're, bad, they're really bad. Yeah, um, let's go to the other if side. We're looking at the top end. I feel like at this point in time, um, I've got a pretty good idea of what the Cardinals are. I think they're pretty good. Uh, like they're they're very good. I should clarify that. Otherwise, I, I think we know roughly who the teams are that are going to compete for the playoffs. If you ask me, who do I feel good about once we get there, and those teams are playing one another, I have no feel for that whatsoever. Yeah, because the Patriots, the Bills, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Titans, the Colts, the Chiefs, and the Chargers—those eight teams in the AFC. Any of them can beat any of the other teams on any day, regardless of where the game is played right yeah, now. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you're right from from a top standpoint, the NFC. We know Dallas is going to win that division. They, mm-hmm. they looked horrible. In fact, they looked bad two of the last three weeks yep. because they laid an egg against Denver. They routed Atlanta, so what? And then yesterday, offensively, they didn't they didn't look good at all. Credit Kansas City. I really thought that was going to be a tough game for the Chiefs. I did too. And I was completely wrong about it. And you saw right from the get-go, Dak Prescott was off. I mean, he missed CeeDee Lamb. He, he, had a, he had an open window for CeeDee Lamb almost right out of the gates. It was either first or second down. Couldn't complete it. And then Kansas City's pass rush took over. So credit credit Kansas City's defense. And that was that's the much maligned Kansas City defense, right? But we know Dallas is going to win the NFC East. We know that, that Green Bay, despite what they did yesterday in Minnesota, they're going to win the North. We, we have a really good feeling. Even at 6-3. and three, Tampa's winning the Tampa's South. Tampa's winning the South. I actually I mean, feel the best about Tampa winning their division. Yeah, because the Of any of the ones that we brought up. This, I thought the Saints were going to be in the wild card mix. And Jameis Winston got hurt. Trevor Simeon pulled off the one upset against Tampa. And then it's been it's been a train wreck since that point. And we know that Arizona's going to win the NFC mm. West. But when it comes down to the wild card teams, you feel great about the Rams. You feel, and that's it. You feel good about the Rams making the wild card. I, I feel good about them making it. I don't feel good about them in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much damage they're going to do, Tanner. You're right. When it, when you look at Minnesota, I think Minnesota has replaced New Orleans as kind of like that next intriguing wild yeah, card there's team. Five teams for two spots to San me at Francisco, the back Francisco, right? So who's I, healthy? I like Minnesota. Uh, I think whoever wins Minnesota San Francisco this weekend has the front has the front end of that conversation. I agree. I kind of like Philly as that second team right now. I don't like them. But given their schedule, I think that's the team that I would take. They've got the Giants, Jets, two against Washington. 
the Giants. So two against the Giants, two against Washington, the Jets, and one against the Cowboys down the stretch. I, I think that's the team. Yeah. I think they can find a way to get to nine, maybe ten down the stretch. Probably nine wins, and I think that gets them in. If they if they fall behind in any of their games, they're done. That's if they play, but, but conversely, if they go up. It's done for the opposition. They they're they're tough to they're tough tough to come back against. I still don't know, I know if the Jalen Hurts is good. A little bit. Well, I have no idea. But. I mean, how many yards does he throw? I, I, look, he's he is a very good runner, and he he runs a version of the single wing very well. One look, he's covered. I'll take off, or I'll buy myself some time and find open receivers. But when you're throwing 150 yards, I think he's I think I think five of the last six games the Eagles have played. They're, they're under 200 or under 200, yeah. 250 yards. If you, again, if you get in a situation where you're falling behind teams, good luck with that passing game trying to come back. It's what I said about Lamar early in his career. He's not that player anymore. Now he has become a very different player where they can come back easily. They've shown it multiple times this year, more so than any other team in the league. But Jalen Hurts, what we're watching from him right now is a slightly lesser version of what we saw from Lamar early in sure. his career. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, we're going to talk to Dan McLaughlin. By the way, Jamie, Jamie's back. Nice. BT, BT is out for the next three days. So I was out two weeks ago. Jamie was out last week and BT's out this week. Short week. We'll all be back together next next week. But we got Dan McLaughlin coming up at 2.30. Jamie's going to tell us how he's going to fix the, the blues. And we'll certainly dive in a lot of the headlines coming coming off the weekend. Mizzou getting the win against Florida. Dan Mullen getting fired and then breaking down some NFL action that we saw yesterday. Looking forward to that. That's from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.